Blog Talk Radio. Gardner, and with me is the uh, very proud of Ben Florence. After hosting a show by yourself last week, I listened to it. It went uh, very well. Did you have fun doing it? You did not listen to it. That's a, that's a pure lie. Yeah, I had, a, I, had a, I had a great time. I wish I could do it more often. You probably will in a no. matter of weeks. But we have a good show. Of course, fans, as you know, we are simulcasted now on ATV, as we like to thank them, God. and American Word Magazine. And uh, DC United, as Chipotle, Dish Network, who else are we getting? Vehicle360.com. Uh, All right. Yeah. Great show for you guys on hand. A uh, lot of interviews. Yeah, special 90-minute show today. And we will have uh, Lewis Marvin from Texas Motor Speedway on his the thoughts of the chase and surprising release on Texas Motor Speedway for 2014. Sean Kuykendall, his first interview with us. We've been waiting a year in the making, and he talks about uh, his support of the Strong hashtag and fund as he uh, fights his battle with cancer. It's a remarkable story, and you'll listen to more of that. And also, uh, part two of our Billy Walker series. Oh, yeah. The athletic director who uh, cut the ribbon for the locker rooms last week that I was at. Very exciting. Uh, wish a lot more people would have showed up. But, I mean, there's a sizable amount. Have you, 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 you seen them yet? Have you seen the photos online? Uh, I have not yet, actually. I, am, I guess I'm not as good of a fan as you are. So I have not. Wish I, but I, I hear they are brand new, and it's definitely a big step forward as we move forward into the uh, brand new future. Uh, new, a new, a dawn of a new era for mm-hmm. the athletics under uh, new athletic director Billy Walker and uh, all that jet excitement around the program and uh, going forward. I think we've got a great future. All right, and of course, you know, off of the bright future, our first segue for Uncle Team USA, the America's Cup. For fans that don't know what that is, the sailing race dating back from like, the 1800s. 162 years this event has been going on. Of course, David Ward of the LA Times will join us next week. He was covering that event, which is uh, very exciting because already the United States was docked two. Basically what it is is two ships compete for the oldest trophy in sports, which I guess doesn't make sense because wouldn't the Olympics be older? But they weren't really winning a trophy. They're more winning medals. Yeah, that is true. And the Olympics also they didn't really kick back in after the old Greek days until like what, the nineteenth century? Yeah. So like eighteen ninety six, I think is what the date was. Anyway, this trophy, the old cup, is a battle of countries, nations, with the best 
sailing teams. Which is something we've never talked about on this show. We certainly have not. But we will start today as whoever wins on because it gets very complicated because whoever whoever is the defender picks the location, picks the venue, the ship's views, and basically sets all the rules. Mm-hmm. And so Larry Ellison, CEO of Oracle, funds this team uh, with all all of Americans except the skippers from New Ze- uh, from Australia. Josh, uh, James Spithill, I think is his name. Anyway, they chose San Francisco, the Bay, and their def- challenger competes in the Louis Vuitton Cup. So that's any of the Italians, the Swiss, the New Zealanders, and uh, Emirates Team New Zealand won. So they got to face the United States. The United States is best. First one to eight. And immediately, and, and it's complicated because they start, you have sort of floating starts, and then they go around one buoy, go through another buoy. And there's like all these uh, tactical maneuvers they have to make. Very interesting. So the USA was already trailing negative two to zero even before the event kicked off because uh, one of the members of Team USA or Oracle Team USA got banned, I guess, for attacking some sails. Which is funny because looking at the AC-72, which is the ship they used, they did not look like boats whatsoever. They're like only 13,000 pounds. You think modern yachts weigh like a ton. Yeah. Maybe more. But anyway, say 13,000 pound boats. Super fast. Go about thir- average about 35 knots, which I guess is a lot in nautical terms. I know you're a nautical fan. Absolutely. And so they're already saying negative two zero. New Zealand got all the way up to eight to one. The United States wins ten victories, nine, nine straight, eight straight races. And it spent about two weeks to uh, retain the America's Cup. Greatest comeback in America's Cup history. So greatest comeback of an event spanning 162 years. Great, uh, most exciting, for sure, watching on NBC Sportsnet. Very exciting. Great venue. Uh, good story as well in the fact that so it shows the United States resiliency of you know, never giving up and whatnot and knowing our home crowd is always behind us, I guess. I don't know. But in terms of, we were discussing this yesterday, but is this link among the greatest comebacks in sports history? That's what a lot of people were saying after the United States won. Um, it's, uh, you know, well, it is the heat of the moment, so people are naturally going to say something like that. Like the Lieutenant Governor of California. Absolutely. Hey, you love, um, uh, Gavin Newsom, good guy, personal friend of mine. And, but in terms of the all-time comebacks, I think it's got to be considered up there. I think another famous one will be the USA at the, uh, 1999 Ryder Cup. Yes. Which was a glorious comeback. Was that 1999? Yeah, it was. And so I think it's actually, it's, it has to at least be in the discussion. However, I don't know if it's necessarily the greatest uh, comeback. Yeah, yes, it was in 1999. Well, uh, and Brooklyn, Massachusetts. Really? Brooklyn, Massachusetts, of course, was the home of John Adams. John Quincy Adams, I believe. Actually, they were from, I'm actually going to look it over now. What other events would you link up there with the greatest comebacks? Some, uh, Mike Frost, you guys say today, good friend of my brother's, 
Here I saw for the win that the blog USA Today has. By the way, I, I wasn't correct with Giants. I got it confused with Green Tree, Massachusetts. So we'll just scratch that, scratch it from the record. But what would you list? He listed events like the Boston uh, Red Sox, <laughs> three down against the Yankees. Your Yankees, which we will get to later in the show. Um, one was also USA versus Algeria in the 2010 World Cup, where the USA had to win to advance. Yeah. And 0-0, Land Donovan scored that game-winning goal, which sent him you know, into the hearts and minds of every American who was a bandwagoner. Any other events you'd have, greatest comebacks? Um, then we got to think about... In the uh, 1993 NFL uh, playoffs, you had the Buffalo Bills of Houston on the Wilson Stadium. The Bills, was that 1993? I've got to take a look at that. But um, Bills came back from being down 38-3 to in the second half. And then a, a rally. It was January 3rd, 1993. Actually, my best friend's birthday, one of my best friends' birthdays. Really? How about that? And they were, the, the Bills were down, uh, what was that score at? Like half. It was, oh, um, yeah, it was 28-3, then it was 35-3. And then the Bills roared back and ended up winning it over to So, that's definitely out there, that game. And our good friend, uh, Aaron Vale, or at least your good friend, has. Definitely want to mention that, but that game was um, that was a classic. Uh, a lot of great comebacks, but I think that's what there's a America's come. It will be, it will be remembered as such. Well, I, I definitely, I wouldn't say it's the greatest comeback of all time, but but then again, the the argument you have to make is uh, how hard is sailing? I don't think most sports fans realize how difficult this yeah. the sport truly is. One, it costs a ton of money. Okay. Millions of dollars bankroll into this event, which only happens you know, every so like every so often. So 162 years, only the 34th America's Cup. Mm-hmm. And they're saying nowadays that it's it's separated by every three years. So that's when teams have to decide well, where you're going to host it, where you're going to have it. Because for the longest time it was in a, a Newport. The New York, New York Yacht Club hosted it. They went to Europe for a while, then went to Perth, and the Americans went back. And that's why it's in San Francisco. So a lot of money. Very uh, technologically advanced ships they're using. Obviously, with this AC-72. And I know there was, there was a controversy. Like, are these ships, there, was, there were concerns. Were, are they too dangerous? Right. Well, of course, one almost cap, two almost capsized Which is fantastic. during the uh, event. We, we do love capsize. The, the double mast, I think, is what they are. And then, a, apart from the traditional single mast, which is obviously what you see on the television, going like the Jolly Roger. I don't know. That's not a yacht. It's more of a ship. Jolly Roger. Oh, <laughs> But, yeah, so it's it's very uh, difficult. Tough, too, because uh, conditions, you have to play by the conditions. You know, fo- basketball is no conditions. Football... There's some with weather, but they, you have wind speed, you have tide, you have you know type of day it is, waves. I don't know, rambling here, but you, you get the, the idea. Rambling, 
how it takes a lot of stuff to do. So this this could be big. The fact that they're faced with elimination, you know, it's in the first week, and yet they kept getting better and better every every race, every day, except yeah. the ones that was postponed. It could be a good comeback. Another comeback I definitely want to give a shout-out to my friends in Dallas when the Mavericks came down with 15 down, like three and a half minutes to go against the Miami Heat in the uh, 2010 NBA Finals. That sucks. That was a great game. Really you don't watch that game. They spurred like a like a. First of all, how did the Heat not stop it? And yeah, that, that was yeah, that was like 15 points in like three minutes. It was also a sad moment in my life. Why? Now it was. But yeah, carrying on. So a solid comeback though. Very very cool. Uh, actually watched the last race on tape delay. Oh gosh. I know because I was in class during when the live event was going on. You know what? Class is over. Yeah. What has class ever done for us? I know. Right? Done, done for us Americans. Well, it's gone with education. Yeah, it's a fine education. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Gotta go to the dictionary on that one. Anyway, David Warren, LA Times will join us next week. So let's hear what he has to say from a first-hand perspective covering an event. Also, let's get more information about what the America's Cup actually is. But, um, would we be able to fund an America's Cup team? Uh, no. They got a huge loan. We, I thought we were going to try and fund that, but the fact of NASCAR people, we got some trust We all want to put people at 60 on the hood. Would Rick Crawford in the, in the underway on this matter? Dennis Setzer. Love Dennis Setzer. We could do that. Speaking of NASCAR, great segue. Uh, we sat down with a personal friend of mine, and actually my partner. He's not your friend. Yeah. You don't even know him yet. Yes, I do. He's my boss at Texas North Speedway. Yeah, but yeah. he's yellow. No, that's hard. Anyway, this is uh, Lewis Moore. He's a uh, media relations senior coordinator, and here's his thoughts on how NASCAR handled the chase from a media perspective. Mm. See what we did there. And also, Texas North Speedway announced something big on Monday, and we sat down and talked about it. So, um, so like, what was your what was your original thoughts after watching that Richmond race? Um, it is left is left uh, made for a lot of drama, and I guess the the reaction was, I mean, is this is this really happening? Um, but um, I think in the end, NASCAR acted acted appropriately, and I think they I think they levied the 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 fines and the the punishment that need to be levied on those involved. Um, so. Um, very odd circumstances with now 13 drivers in the chase, but um, ultimately I think the all 13 drivers in the chase are, are deserving of a spot. So, What was a more crazier scenario, the fact that uh, Jeff Gordon got in based on, I guess, integral merit after the whole week or that Martin Truex Jr. got taken out? I, I would say that that probably... Gordon coming in made for for the for the crazier scenario because it came on the heels of the start of the chase on Friday, and NASCAR had already levied their fine against uh, Michael Waltrip Racing. So I, th- I think Gordon getting in um, was probably the more crazier of the two. I think he should have been included um, after NASCAR had levied that fine um, on Monday. Um, but for them to wait, I think that that generated the more buzz. Um, so, but like I, like I mentioned, uh, I, I think he deserved to 
um, to make the chase. Uh, unfortunately, people don't realize that, uh, yes, Martin Truex would have made the chase, but with all the circumstances falling after Richmond, Gordon, Gordon was primed to, to qualify. And um, for him to have that taken away from him unjustly, I, I think um, it was only fair that he, he get into the chase. So, How did it impact you guys as a track, as one of the chase tracks, if any, after that race? Um, I, I I don't think it it had much of an impact. I think the one thing for us uh, going forward is the, is the buzz that it created. I mean, you had you had it on the cover of USA Today and um, on all the the major newspapers and televisions outlets the next day, and they were talking about the chase. Um, so in that regard, it, it generated a uh, a little bit of excitement and um, and got got the eyeballs and the the attention of uh, fans. Um, to see what was going to happen, and I, I, I think it still does. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen now how um, Matt Kenseth has come out of the gate and um, been pushing hard this entire season to win his his second championship. So I think ultimately it, it, it brought some excitement to the chase, and the, and the chase is already exciting as it is with ten races um, of just edge of your seat racing. So. From a media relations standpoint, did NASCAR get it right? NASCAR got it right. I wish they would have uh, acted uh, uh, quicker. Um, in the terms of, they shouldn't have waited till Friday to announce that Gordon was in the chase. They they should have laid it all out. And uh, but ultimately, as I said. They, they they got the right drivers in the chase. Um, unfortunately, Martin Truex Jr. Um, had to endure those issues, and he was an innocent bystander. Um, but ultimately, he doesn't make the chase if, if all those things don't fall into place. Um, Gordon and Newman were racing the right way, and Ultimately, we're out of the chase after these instances. And for them to get let back in, I think, ultimately was the right decision. And in, in terms of NASCAR and their stance, I think it was uh, a great move. Um, just wish it could have happened a little bit quicker. And uh, we've seen it in other professional sports, obviously, with Downey Gate and the NFL and the PED and Major League Baseball. What does it mean for the integrity of NASCAR going forward? Um, I, I think it, it does shed some light on, on integrity, um, but I think after uh, NASCAR's meeting with the drivers, um, ultimately I, I think they know where the line is now. Uh, they know the boundaries, and it's sort of been an unwritten rule as to, okay, you know what, this is what we do, um, um, and, and, and it's, it's been okay, but now we, now we have a line in the sand and the drivers know not to cross that line. So I, I, I think it, it, it brought to, uh, light to this issue, and I think ultimately it will help moving forward. Um, and I think it, it, it's a big step for sure. Will we see any bigger rule changes come next year in January? <sighs> No, I, I, I hope not. I hope not. I, I think the excitement of the chase brings 
brings what what the last ten races needs. Um, and I hope it it doesn't. Um, honestly, uh, I mean, I think NASCAR will be more cognizant throughout the season as opposed to just that final race in Richmond. Because as we found out with Jeff Gordon being out of the chase by one point, every lap of every 26 races leading up to that chase is, is important, and every point is. Um, so I, I think we'll be more cognizant of uh, fair racing, um, and hopefully there there are no rules changes to, to prevent that. All right, and I guess the season as a whole, your thoughts on the Gen 6? It was a new car, a lot of unknowns. Already we've seen like 13 track records broken. Was the Gen 6 a positive step forward for NASCAR? Oh, I, I think with, without a doubt it's definitely a positive, um, both from the driver's perspective and the fan's perspective. I mean, the drivers are, are racing a car that fans can go into a Chevy dealership and, and purchase the, the next day, um, as the old saying goes, with what sells on or what wins on Sunday sells on Monday, and I think it's good that fans can now relate to the cars that they do look like those uh, those vehicles on the streets. And from the driver's perspective, I think it's creative, more competitive racing. You don't see that the the, the lead guy just just uh, walk away from the field. That there's there's side by side racing. I mean, um, we've had some incredible races here um, throughout the throughout the first part of the season, um, making for exciting racing for both the drivers and the fans. And I think that's what NASCAR was looking to achieve, and I think they've done that. Oh, who's your dark horse to contend for the championship? Oh, dark horse. Um, I would say Kevin Harvick's lurking back there. I know they started off the season um, uh, real fast and then have sort of tapered off, but He's making a he's making a charge here, and I, I think winning a winning a championship for uh, Richard Childress in his final season um, to sort of reward him for giving him that opportunity to to jump behind the wheel and take uh, the spot of Dale Earnhardt Sr. Uh, I think means a lot to Kevin, and I think it's it's only appropriate that he go out with the championship. So he would be my dark horse here at the moment. Again, he, he he's um he's he's great here at Texas Motor Speedway. While he hasn't won, he's run consistent here. Um, also always a threat to win at, at Talladega and uh, some of these other mile-and-a-half tracks. He won at Charlotte early in the season. Charlotte's on the one of the final ten races. So I think if, if there's a dark horse, it's, it's, it's Kevin Harvick. All right, and for uh, Texas Motor Speedway, I have to ask, who came up with the concept of this giant screen television on the backstretch? Oh, all, all credit goes to Eddie, Eddie Gossett, our track president. He's he's been he's been brainstorming this idea for several years. Obviously, with the with the creation of uh, the HD video board at AT and T Stadium, we wanted to, we wanted to take it up a step further. And ultimately, the, the the addition of Big Hoff TV next year is going to do that. I mean, you're looking at 218 in length by 94.6 feet in width. I mean. Uh, 4.8 million pixels. It's going to be state of the art. It's the world's largest HD television screen. So fans are really going to get an idea of the excitement of of a race. Not only will they be able to keep uh, tabs on their drivers through their scanners, but they'll be able to keep tabs on this uh, big hoss here on the backstretch. 
um, making it um, more fan-friendly and, to, again, to catch that intensity and excitement of the races um, that they wouldn't be able to if there was no John Butron on the back screen. So. Is it bigger than so it's bigger than the one at Charlotte Motor Speedway? It is. It, this this one is bigger than than Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte's was um, sixteen thousand square feet, and ours is going to be, um, I believe, twenty one, twenty one thousand square feet. So this will be the world's largest HD video board. And again, we're excited to debut it next April for our uh, Texas Five Hundred weekend. Uh, why the name Big Hoss? Was that just Eddie's idea, or was there like a, a story behind that? Uh, I mean, there's no really story behind it. I think obviously you have big techs, as everyone in from the state of Texas knows. Um, so we want, we wanted to give him sort of that that element of um, being being real and connecting with him. And I think Big Hoss ultimately does that. Um, so it, it, again, it was an Eddie idea, and uh, I, I think it, 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 it fits appropriately just for the sheer magnitude of how big this uh, HD video board is going to be. So, so I can't wait to see it when it's uh, unveiled next year. Also, I uh, can't wait for the uh, AAA Texas 500 in November. Um, the AAA Texas 500 is always is, is always an exciting event. Uh, it seems like historically it, it, it has played a real pivotal role in determining the championship. Last year we had Brad Keselowski and Jimmy Johnson battling out um, at the end, making contact at one point and nearly spinning each other out. But it was Jimmy Johnson uh, winning. Ultimately, Brad had the last lap with uh, uh, his championship. But, again, in years past, uh, Carl Edwards and uh, Tony Stewart were the ones battling uh, and Tony Stewart got the upper hand, and it was one of one of his five victories in the chase. So Texas Motor Speedway and the AAA Texas 500 has always played a pivotal role in the championship, and there's there is plenty of excitement in that race. Um, and again, it's, it's 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 the biggest race in the chase. Looking forward to that race in November too. I'll be uh, booking my uh, plane ticket home as soon as possible. <laughs> Well, we're, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to having you back. Now, there's more media relations senior coordinator at Texas Motor Speedway. It's off the chase. That's Kevin Harvick as the dark horse. I'll garner Ben Florence Snack Radio. So, it is 1.38 Eastern Standard Time. That's something we need to improve, telling the time. I did that last week. You did, that's right. I had to do it. Anyway. A lot of things I went through last week that I didn't get to do. And his Harvick in the chase, his NASCAR would have act, should have acted quicker. But two races in, they go to Dover this weekend. Matt Kenseth has won the first two. He, uh, my prediction of him winning is looking pretty good right now. That's very true. Yeah, he's been. A lot of people saying that because he already has a solid lead. I mean, he's leading up eight points over his teammate Kyle Busch. And a lot of times, if you get strong starts, then you're in. Great shape. Obviously, we don't know what can happen. He could crash on lap 35, finish like 41st, and then all of a sudden, everyone else is right back in the mix. I think that concerning the fact that Jimmy Johnson, we're going to Dover, Jimmy Johnson is, Dover may just be the best track. Well, he had like a percentage for like 40% of the races he competes in, he'll win. Yeah, so I think that he's very much in the mix as well. I mean, 
Now, right up, right behind Matt Kenneth, uh, we'll give you a live points look right now. But, yeah, he's currently in third after finishing fourth. He has two straight top five. Kyle Busch has two straight top two, and those guys aren't leading the point. As of right now, Jimmy Johnson is 18 points back, but Matt Kenneth, uh, Kyle Busch is actually 14 points back, and that's, quote, the 14th position of track. But you look at Jimmy Johnson, so good at Dover. I think he's going to win this race because he is money at the track, although he did only finish 17th in the fall in the spring race, a lap down. Ooh. But if you look at his career and Dover, it's just tremendous. So, although he has a one, he won, did win this race, uh, no, he did not win this race last year. Wait, he allowed you on it. Yes, that's right. Well, I feel my so, but I think uh, Jimmy Johnson's going to win on Sunday. And I think it's going to be end up being a. Uh, although well, I think Kyle Busch is, I think it's going to be a three-man race this battle right now, barring no unforeseen development that even has like, their engine trouble or any of that. Which Joe Gibbs has had very true in the past. So what do who is uh, is do or die for who this weekend? Uh, it is going to be do or die. Uh, I'm going to take a quick look another look at the standings so I can get you better. It's going to be do or die for, I'm going to give you Carl Edwards. Carl Edwards is 30, he's in Florida, but he's 36 points behind. He really, he, Greg Biffle, a couple of behind him, Harvick's three behind him, uh, Kurt Busch is 40 back, Jeff Cohen's 42 back. Those guys have got a long way to climb, so they're going to have to start moving now. And it's not as if they've been running, they've ran poorly in the chase, just that the guys at the top, because Matt Kenseth came in with a point advantage because he won the most races. So they're going to have to start winning races if they want to win the title, and they have to start doing it now, and they're going to need some help as well. Because, again, if you're 36 points behind, that means that you, to get it equal to where they, to where Matt Kenseth is, you have to finish first. This actually, he has to finish in the mid-30s. Right. You know, oh, that way he's been racing this year. Exactly. So, I think that for, like, Carl Edwards, a Biffle, a Harvick, and they, those are, I mean, Edwards has won races this year, but those guys have not won as many races as Matt Kenseth had. And they're going to have to start running up front. It's time to take for those guys, and you wouldn't know what they because, again, they're like, in fourth and fifth. Right. That's like two races in. Exactly. Exactly. So the lopsided of the chase is, oh, well. You love the chase. You know you love the chase. We're so advocate fans of the chase. I don't like the chase. I can't stand the, the old chase. system was trash. It was yeah. trash. Yeah. Interesting. Some back in the day, Matt Kenseth was the last one to win in the old system. It's very true. I'm going to the points now. I'm take a quick music break. But slow. College Night Plug. Shout out to our boy, Mark Malcolm Barber. Who's that? Who that? Our good friend of the show. Brand ambassador of DC United. I don't know who that is. But anyways, soccer fans, we know you're out there. If you are looking for an exciting and interactive experience, the DC United Soccer Club, who has some great this year, will be hosting College Night on October 4th, they get the Chicago Fire, who are fighting for a playoff spot themselves. Yes, they are. October 4th, that is in one week, my friends. Or on our GD Simulcast, that's in four days. It will feature a premium tailgate, a halftime mascot race between all local colleges. I mean, come on, we have Claude's going to win that. Claude's. Rumor is Malcolm will be Claude. Ah, well then. He will win. 
Man, we will. He'll break it. He'll do a lot of Randall Simon with the bat and just yeah, smash everyone else. Old school throwback Friday on that one. Absolutely. And tickets will be throwback Friday. Flashback Friday. Flashback Friday. Tickets will be throwing $20 to you. You can't beat that for a Friday night. I mean, come on. You know you want to go out. You know you want to go spend a night out in uh, RFK. So for more information, visit www.dcunited.com. All right, yeah, visit that. Tickets going fast next week, college night, RFK, Ron Garden Benefit Smack Creator. We'll be back with Billy Walker, our second part series. Also, Sean Kuykendall will join us here. We'll be listening to Smack Radio on blogtalkradio.com and simulcasted on ATV.
Static Radio. Get ready to bring the pain! <laughs> it's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Snack Radio on blogtalkradio.com, Southcast on ATV. Uh, what's their slogan, or what's the, Amer- what's the American Television Student Run Network? Turn us up. Yes, uh, we have the host of the Sports Zone flagship show on the station. Absolutely. And we were live here in our uh, studios, my garden office at Florence, Snack Radio. We had uh, Lewis Moore of the Texas Motor Speedway, Senior Coordinator of Media Relations on. Yeah, it gave a plug to something called Big Hoss TV, which if you go back and listen to the uh, podcast on blockdockradio.com slash fanatic radio or, or go on iTunes, he talks about how Texas is going to unveil the largest LED screen in the world that will be placed on the backstretch of Texas Motor Speedway come April 2014. Oh, God. And it's like a fiasco way that happened. It's his idea. It was his idea, and he also came up with the name uh, Big Hoss TV, which I guess is a play on words after uh, the immortal Big Tex, who the State Fair is trying to rebuild after he was burned to the ground last year. And rightfully so. And the State, State Fair is coming up really soon, too. You get a great uh, fried Oreos. Have you ever been to the Jersey State Fair, Flo? Uh, No, and actually, there's technically two Jersey State Fairs. There's one like in South Jersey. Like, they're not... They're not really that big a deal. There was, there was one in the Meadowlands. It goes on for like a month, but it's like in a parking lot. But uh, yeah, whenever you take the bus in New York for where I was working, then it would be, um, you know, you'd always see like pizza music. But I've never been to the State Fair, Jersey State Fair. It's, uh, I don't know, for us, or at least more, I guess, where I'm from, it never really was a big thing. But. Yeah, and that runs the Texas State Fair, too. Beautiful fair park. Exactly. But it's more than Texas part of Dallas, Texas. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> could be, could be, depending on what part of Dallas you're in looking at it. But anyway, some facts and figures on this big hot TV. Uh, the Alamo would fit inside the screen nine times. And the Alamo's pretty big. I've never been. It's about as... Um, as wide and big as the Lincoln Memorial for your D.C. Uh, viewers and listeners... Yeah, two sphinxes, uh, 32 standard-sized billboards that you see on the highway, two jumbo jets, two times taller than the Big Tech statue in Fair Park, uh, 330, uh, 373 NASCARs, and, and having this screen would be like having 2,081 60-inch flat-screen televisions. The largest in a sports venue is 218 feet long and um, 124.49 feet high. Big off TV, April 2014. It's going to actually make Texas Motor Speedway look pretty different because the cool thing about TMS was if you're sitting, the way the front stretch is designed, the sort of the higher up you can actually find a spot in the grandstand that overlooks the backstretch. 
And so now, sometimes we can't even see the backstretch due to just in the fact to have the world's largest LED screen TV, Jumbotron, bigger than the ones in AU's uh, Bend Arena, or as we like to say, Ameritel Arena. That's very true. Uh, Our hockey cell court in Bend Arena via Maritel Stadium. Um, well, and maybe this will actually get people going to Texas Motor Speedway again because attendance there hasn't been good for a long time because the well, not in the fall race. Technically, the attendance there is pretty poor because the race is awful. All right, well, now you're just being – We had the largest – the worst circuit on the course. The best attendance two years in a row. Texas World. Go to the course in Austin. Texas Motor Speedway sucks. That's why it got the test to do all this crap to get people to go, even though the place is trash. You've never been. I absolutely have been. You've never I've been. been okay, I've been to Daytona. Okay, I've been to Daytona for a race, though. Yes, and I've been there for both. So we will, we will yeah. crash the 500 next year when we get our hard cards. Try to apply for that. But a uh, big segue, we'll get to baseball towards the end of the show. We'll get to Dr. Walker's uh, finishing his two-part series. But we'll go to AU Athletics. We'll give him a quick plug. Uh, Shout-out to Barry Goldberg, first off. This is oh, one of seven active coaches that have earned 600 wins plus with a single program. As they had achieved it in California, and then they came back and beat UMBC, their first home game in almost a month and a half. So and then for that, to put the uh to put Morgan Hendricks, the uh, middle block on the team, we have a game practice to only get back on a bus to go up to Holy Cross and uh, continue the rest yeah. of the Patriot League season. But uh, this Saturday, one PM, tomorrow actually. Hey. Uh Phil Reeves from men's soccer is they open no, they open Patriot League play against Lehigh. I don't know why I said since Lehigh there's plenty of other teams they could have played against. That marketing department could have Why are you hanging on Lehigh? We'll, we'll, no, I'm not hanging on Lehigh. You're hanging on Lehigh. I beat Lehigh. The past two games, they've beaten Lehigh in 1 0. The last time we played them at home was uh, the Snow Bowl, where I did a game with uh, Tyler Saman and Shamar Walters. Ooh, a three man crew, a three way. And uh, it was a game where it rained, sleeted, and snowed. And it spent. Uh, two hours because we scored in the night. We scored in like the 89th minute, like the last play, like one of the last plays of the game. When was this? My sophomore year. So two years ago, I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. And for the it was senior day, so it was it was in like November. It was the last home game the men's soccer had. Because there's a funny story about that season. But anyway, we came, uh, American went on the field wearing white jerseys. Got the rain. The field got the conditions got so muddy. Jerseys were mud soaked, so we were brown, matching Lehigh's brown jerseys. Coming out of the uh, locker room at halftime, we were wearing blue jerseys. Oh, and we ended up winning the game. Wow. And then we beat them horrible. And then we beat them on the road last uh, this uh, this past year. Now we play on Saturday. And it's a very important weekend for Phil Reeves because, one, all the fans come out and, and uh, hopefully will come out and support. All probably come out. So, uh, barbecue. Barbecue and all the products that. The barbecue? Comes with the. Uh, what? The reasonness. But one plus also alumni week. What did you want? Food. I don't know. What kind of food? Meat. I, I guess. Know. What if you were going to barbecue? I know. Uh, housing and dining is sponsoring some of it. Yes. Now, now I'm definitely a lot of traditional dominoes. But anyway, it's alumni weekend. Uh, very special alum also. Uh, class of 2004, I believe. Sean Kuykendall. 
played at AU, assistant coach at AU, and uh, he's currently a technical director in Montgomery County. He sat down with us for our weekly conversation, uh, very emotional as well. He's fighting cancer, and he's currently went through his fifth chemo treatment and is still going strong, hiking strong, as he will explain about his social media craze that is uh, literally sweeping the nation. And as we sat down with him this week to discuss uh, a little bio blast of him and the interesting facts of uh, kikenstrong.com. Sean Kikendall. Finally, you get to be on the uh, as a guest on the show. I think it's been, what, a year in the making? Yeah. I've yeah. been wanting you to have you on. Thanks for having me. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. Uh, just getting through the first few weeks. School, right? Yeah. He's going to graduate? You think you're going to make it to the finish line? Yeah. Well, um, definitely definitely will walk. The worst case scenario would be like a class short. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Parents don't want to disappoint parents enough. I know. Well, my brother <laughs> my brother did this, uh, the same thing, which is which is funny because you know as being an athlete, you have so many academic yeah. advisors and whatnot, and yet he was still a credit short. So what he did, though, is he did uh, summer abroad, went over to London. Not too bad. And worked, yeah, he worked with a Not bad at all. semi-pro uh, soccer club, seventh division. Use still so here in London with only with only one uh, staff, one one full time staff. Yeah. Everyone else was like volunteer. Right. But yeah, he did that, and so he's now he's now back trying to work somewhere with the MLS. Cool. Because he's well, of course he's now waiting just because the season's still going yep. on. Mm-hmm. But that's um, what have you been up to? You were just talking about uh yeah left uh, left American University and uh, coaching here with the men's program for the last three years to uh, go be the director of player development for Montgomery Soccer Incorporated over uh, in Montgomery County Maryland uh, we're the one of the largest clubs in America with the thirteen thousand kids uh, everything from rec to a little bit more advanced than rec in our elite travel program so it's pretty cool get to go over there uh, create programs develop curriculum uh, manage and hire the coaches and. It's really cool to kind of be able to, uh, you know, build something, something that's been established for a while in the in the area, but uh, as in terms of trying to take it to the next level of organization, um, professionalism, and just, you know, teaching the game the right way, we're really excited about that. So it's a really cool opportunity. To the Sir Alex Ferguson of Montgomery County. Trying to be, hopefully, you know, got to yeah, got to put all that uh, all the organization and all the structure together and. Hopefully it starts working itself. I guess the hardest part is putting together infrastructure to make it kind of go. And and uh, I think that's half the battle in organizing organizing and communicating what you want to do and how you want to do it and, and just start working it. Cause I have no doubt about if you feel like my knowledge is really good in the game that we can we can teach these kids so and teach the coaches and train better coaches. So that's half the battle. How's, man- so how's management life been? <laughs> Uh, it's okay. It hasn't been. It's sometimes difficult because anytime you come into a new organization, you are looked upon the guy that's going to come in and make tons of changes, which is not necessarily wrong because I do want to make changes. But I also understand that you have to get buy-in and you have to communicate what you want to try to do and you have to uh, build rapport among the people who are currently there because you can't just have a revolt. That's no good. And then you... Um, yeah, you communicate the changes that we want to go, and there's not some people are going to think it's stupid or they're not going to be happy with it. But if you've communicated and you said what you're going to do and why you're going to do it, and then you do it, even if they don't like it, at least they don't. They can't say you weren't upfront about it. And uh, so, yeah, do I like it? It's a little different because I'm not on the field as much, but I think in terms of the global reach of what I can do is greater. 
affecting more kids in development of the game in, in America than sometimes coaching an individual team. So, Where does love of soccer come from? Well, I, was, I had a unique experience. I grew up in a household of soccer. My dad played at American University here, was All-American. He played in the NA, old NASL, North American Soccer League for the Washington Diplomats and for the New York Cosmos with Pelé and some other famous players with the Cosmos. He was a goalkeeper. So I just grew up. My older brother played and I played and all, our, all my siblings played. So it was just a soccer household and, you know, my dad would get us up early and we'd start playing soccer even before school at like 7 a.m. and just get training, get our touches in. And, and then I ended up being pretty good at it at a young age. And so it, when you're good at something, that motivates you more keep wanting to play it. So, yeah, that's probably where it came from, my family. So did you play any other sports growing up? I did. I played basketball. I played travel basketball. But I was a really late bloomer, so I was not that tall. I'm still not that tall, but I was super late. I was a point guard. I probably, like most soccer players who played basketball, I could dribble, I could rebound, I could defend, but my J was probably most lacking. My jump shot was not so nice. So, but if I had five fouls, I pretty much used them <laughs> to make sure that they weren't going to so score. Still and beer of yeah. travel hey. basketball. Yeah, sometimes. I remember being uh, complimented by the tra my travel coach. He's actually a good friend of mine's dad. It's funny we joke about it now because it's like, man, the the best compliment your dad ever gave me was that if a guy was going on a breakaway for a layup, it was not going to be an AM one. <laughs> It will not be an and one. It was going to be a foul, two shots, but that ball wasn't going up because I was getting ball and I was getting a lot of arm, and it, <laughs> that ball wasn't going up or that arm. So, yeah, absolutely. Trade, play basketball and play, play travel until I was probably 14. Then soccer for the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean, it was starting to get more serious with the ODP and through, uh, I was blessed to be in like the under 16 national team, the, the one with Landon Donovan and. Uh, Gucci on Ye Wu and Demarcus. You played with the Adidas, Chen Adidas, yeah. Guys. Or uh, Project well, 40, I guess. They weren't Project 40. I didn't, I mean, all those guys that did sign Project 40, I didn't. But at 14, it was all, yeah, all those guys, like, yeah, just. Uh, like Beasley and them? Beasley, Landon Donovan, Kyle Beckerman, that whole age group was all from us. And Gucci on Ye Wu, that was all our, all our age group. And, um, and then everyone kept growing. I was a really late, late grower. I didn't. I was like 4'11 and like 80 pounds as a freshman in high school, and I graduated probably 5'6, you know, 130 pounds, and I'm now whatever, 5'10, 5'11. Well, I'm probably too fat, but yeah. But I grew, I grew, and it just, just kind of happened late. It all happened after high school, so I grew like four and a half inches after high school, which is kind of nuts. But you played here at American. I did. What was that like? How was that you different from now? Well, it was a great experience. I loved it. I, I had a unique experience in the fact that not only did my dad play here, but my older brother was here when I was a freshman, and I got to play two years with him. He was a all-conference midfielder three times and um, first team and started more games than I even did here. And he was – so it was really cool to be able to come in and play with your brother and obviously play where your dad played. And that wasn't necessarily on purpose. It was uh, where a scholarship was, and, and they played a good style of play with, with Todd. They tried to you know knock the ball on the ground and – they tried to play, which was good because physically I wasn't as as strong as I probably needed to be and was still growing. Um, it was an awesome experience. You know, I had a chance to redshirt and possibly go play at Maryland and and maybe some other bigger schools, but looking back, you can just get recruited there, and I don't, so not saying it's bad or telling anyone what to do, but you just get, you know, they recruit over you there, and they just sort of 
bring in another freshman the next year to play over you. And it was awesome because American University was really was good, but it was, you know, they weren't a perennial top ten team. And and it's just it was an amazing experience for me. I mean, gosh, we my class we went to three NCAA tournaments, the only class in AU history ever to do that. There was tons of history here, and the fact that we went to the finals in '85, '97 team went to uh, the um, Elite Eight, and pretty much should have went to the Final Four. They were probably they finished number five that year. So, you know, we had. A lot of good times in the top 25, and we're a really good team. So, I mean, gosh, my experience was great. Made some of my be my best friends here, and and uh, got to play, win a couple championships, and go to three NCAA tournaments. So, in terms of the soccer side of it, it was extremely successful. And playing for Todd was was great. He created a real competitive environment day in day out that really wanted made me uh, made me train hard and push myself. So, what was yeah. Sweet 16 like? Well, experience yeah. making that run. Yeah. That's the last time we. Uh, on that far, yeah. With the second round, my sophomore, and then my senior year, we it was good. It was good. It was, um, you know, sometimes you don't. It just all happens. You know, as a freshman then, and yeah, pretty big contributor then. But you know, you're not the senior leader trying to lead it. But you know, you go and you go down there and play at Chapel Hill and lose in uh, triple overtime to the eventual national champion. That was, uh, if you know, took. Yeah, you take a, not not that this constellation of winning, but it felt okay that like we were going to go out. That we went out to national champions, and and truthfully, gosh, I mean, yeah, the, and this is the thing that everyone realizes, understands this: the ACC speed of play, the athleticism is is really it's just so fast. But it was great to be able to beat Ohio State and then beat Wake Forest in the second round to get to the Sweet 16. So. Uh, I mean, we we had some pretty good talent, but we also grinded out a lot of games, and it's kind of interesting. The Patriot League is a lot different than the than <clears throat> how we would play elsewhere, you know, in terms of the fields that you play on, the the weather that you play in, the the style and the opponent that you play tends to be more direct and physical, and um, the the game's a little bit uglier, and you have to try to learn to win on the road in different ways. So AU does, even in my time that I played here as well as the time that I coached here, play differently on the road in conference than they do at home. And it's not necessarily on purpose. Sometimes it's not, or excuse me, it's not necessarily because we really choose and want to do that. Many times it's out of necessity. So um, the college game changes and dictates that sometimes. So you kind of got to play what's given to you, you know, and that's sort of the tactics of it and figuring that out. So. So is that a bad thing? The Patriot League so different from the rest of the country? Um, It's not a bad thing, but it changes how you play. So sometimes... Uh, we'll play, notice we just play differently in the beginning of the year when we don't have a conference schedule and then when, once we get in the conference and the weather changes a bit, sometimes it, it gets a little uglier and that's okay. You gotta have to, you have to figure out ways to grind out results. Um, it's not bad, it's just, it's just different. It's, you go to a field and everyone thinks the fields are okay and you look at them, they're okay, but when you get on them and play them, they're still a little bumpy, they're just not as good and they're, they don't play as clean and, you know, the other team runs at you, um, all game for 90 minutes, and if you hit one bad square ball or make one mistake, you get punished. So you have to be careful. Uh, worst field that you as a coach or a player have played on or seen? At the college level? Yeah. Gosh, it was Holy Cross, and they fixed it Currently, now. or is it changed? Well, it's changed, but it's still the worst field in the conference in my mind. Um, it's just bumpy and not flat. And grass? Or? It's grass, and that's a problem up there. It's just pretty north, and it's hard to maintain it. Um, but you just don't try to play there. And I also, I mean, Colgate's is bad, although they're purportedly trying to get a new one, but it's 
it's kind of rolly, and as the season gets later, it's not sand-based, so it doesn't get flat. It kind of gets divots and cut up just from all the running on it and cutting on it, so the ball just doesn't roll, and then it, like, bounces all over the place. And then even Lehigh's is not that great. And Lafayette's is a rolling hill. <laughs> Lafayette's is terrible. I hate Lafayette's. Uh, Army's is fantastic. Navy's is fantastic. Bucknell's is fantastic. Um, Loyola and BU have turf. They just came to the conference. Yeah. So that's not preferred. It's not preferred to play on the field turf, but it's better than playing on a bad grass field. That's for sure. You get consistent bounces. So, um, but yeah, it's tough, man. It's difficult. So you don't want to hit a square ball. You don't want to hit it short out of the back and play it around and try to like knock it and move it because. The other team lo looks to get you trapped in one area, and you play a ball into a spot. And if you don't make a good touch, you give it away in a bad spot. One area, and you play a ball into a spot. And if you don't make a good touch, you give it away in a bad spot. They counter you, or they get all over you. So sometimes it's not about how many passes you keep, but it's more about where you lose it and where you win it. If that makes sense. Losing it in your half is not as good as losing it in their half. So if you have to maybe put it in the corner and step up and do that, it's ugly sometimes, but. You have to do it. In fact, you've actually seen a lot of people try to beat Barcelona that way now. Not actually try to play with them, but be direct and step up and press them. So it's a different way to play, but it's you have to figure out and take what's given to you. So. All right, and uh, being with Todd, Todd West, mm -hmm. how has he changed from when he was your coach to yeah. uh, you as an assistant? Under well, him? it's great to see. It's changed a lot, and not you know in good ways, just to see. I know him as a... When I was there, it was just, you know, second year as a coach, and it was just as a head coach in terms of running the program. So he straight out of Mason? When he no, no, no. He was an assistant at American for years. Um, he was there with the 97 team. He'd been at, he'd probably been at AU for four or five years um, under Bob Jenkins. But he ended up, um, yeah, just, I mean, I think there's many times, many coaches, just change in terms of how they handle situations, how they handle players, how they handle egos, how they train. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to put anything specific on how Todd's changed per se, but just sort of seeing how he ran his program in later years here, you're just kind of like, you see, you definitely saw it's just a difference, you know, like a, he's seen it and done it before that it's not really, he's not really, you don't have to second guess decisions as much, you know, you kind of just, Oh, we've done this before, and that didn't work, so we're doing it this this time, you know. And then next time it works, and you do it right, and you do it again. So, yeah, you see him, you see him uh, learning and changing, and give him a lot of credit for that. And I think that's great because if you are the same coach year to year, it's probably not a good thing. All right. Uh, how many years have you were you coach here? I guess four. Two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. So when I was so when I was freshman, yeah. best team. That you coached. Well, last year was our best team, 2012. Do you think we'll ever win the Patriot League? Yeah, we should. This year? We should. Was last year our best chance? I mean, we still, listen, we haven't even really gotten into conference yet. We have a lot of young players this year. Haven't seen a ton of the games, seen a few, but we have a lot of young freshmen and young players that are have an incredible amount of potential and getting accustomed and acclimated to the college speed of play and the college level. Um, I can totally see us getting it together for the Patriot League. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, last year, we had a lot of good pieces, and not only did we first team to ever in, in our AU's history to go undefeated in our conference, but we also you know, won the regular season and had a winning season overall. 
So that was obviously for the three years that I had been here, probably the best team attitude-wise and just total commitment and togetherness and in terms of uh, winning a lot of close games and winning games on the road and coming coming from behind and sticking with it. So there was, I don't know, I, is it our best chance to win it? You never know. Year to year, it just changes. It just changes, you know. You just never know. So I think the boys certainly have a chance to win it this year. I think there's a lot of growth that's still going to happen before we get into conference and, and even get into the conference tournament. So Even with more teams added? Yeah, yeah. I think those teams actually try to play, and I think it's actually better. More well, soccer-minded rather than mm-hmm, the yeah, old Patriots. Exactly. When I say try to play, is they'll try to maybe put the ball on the ground and, and move it around. Um, and it's not a secret, but you go play a team like Lafayette, and it's very physical. And, and um, probably the worst, one of the reasons why college soccer, what bothers me about it, is the unlimited substitution rule. And I guess it's technically limited. But the game of the game never slows down. And if you get through your first half and it's the last 10, 15 minutes, you sub in somebody to just into your forwards to go run at the other team's defenders to just pressure them, pressure them, pressure them, pressure them. And so if you're a striker and you know you have to go at least 70 minutes before you get subbed, you're not running around like a jerk exhausting yourself in the first 10 minutes because you're not going to be able to get a sub and a rest. But at the college game, you know that the coaches basically say, go hard, go hard, go hard, go hard. And 20 minutes in, you sub them. And if you're deep enough, you can do that, and your the level doesn't drop. Now that's good that the level doesn't drop in terms of your athleticism, but it stays because then it makes the game super hectic. It just never like I don't know if you sure you've seen games where it just never settles and like it's not a lot of possession. And you and I think we've all seen the pro games where we go, gosh, there's so much time on the ball. Why are they not press, press, pressing them? And a lot of it's actually well, let's just get into a good spot behind us because we can't just run around like jerks and tire ourselves out because if we get you know they move the ball around us, and then we're in bad positions. We get stretched, then we're really in trouble. So let's be in good spots. And it doesn't necessarily happen like that in the college game because you know that if you miss it, you have the energy to get back, and that guy will have enough energy to do it until he needs a sub, and then you change him. You know, so oh, I think it's the one rule that college soccer should change. The rule, the rule should be, I don't mind unlimited subs, but it should be that whenever you come out, no matter when it is, first half or second half, you're done. Just out. So if you want to make five subs, six subs throughout the whole day, sure, you can. But if you want to make a sub in the first 30 minutes, it's fine. But you got to think about it. That player's done for the day. So, so make it like international friendlies, unlimited yeah. subs once you're out, you're unlimited out. Unlimited subs, but once you're out, you're out. Did it used to be like that, or has it always been? It's always been if you're out in the first half, you can't re-enter in the first half. If you come out in the second half, you can re-enter once in the second half. So I can start on the bench in the second half, go into the game, come out, and then go back in because mm-hmm. I'm allowed one re-entry. I don't know. Yeah, my brother has mentioned that before because he played at Mason, and he was saying the fact that they just have guys on the bench just to recycle. Mm-hmm. And you feel it's bad because you feel not the greatest as a coach doing it because you're kind of like it's not soccer; it's a little gimmicky. But you have to do it. You have to do it because otherwise the other team's doing it, and their speed of play is not going to stop, and you get guys get tired, so you have to give them breaks. So what does this team have to do this year? Well, they got to score some goals from everything that I've seen and understand. Um, losing Dale McDonald this past year is, you know, hurts. He's not only someone who could score goals, but also brought a physical presence and a target. Just a real handful to deal with um, in terms of just his big body and pushing him off the ball. You know, so 
I think we, you know, allowed a lot of the creative players like Siegfried and Kuramoto and, and Alice Fane last year to do some, you know, to create and do more things to give them more one-on-one -on -one situations as opposed to, you know, situations where there's a defender and cover. So, um, you know, I think this year trying to find the right target player that can battle enough for the ball, even if his feet aren't the greatest, and take the numbers and then trying to... Uh, you know, find find the goals through through Siegfried and and Chris Kermoto and and get the you know get yourself get your midfield going. You know, you got to get the ball down, and get it settled, and that's one of the things that's really difficult. Is we do like to move the ball around left and right, but if we don't move it left and right with a purpose in order to get forward, it's kind of pointless. So maybe learning how to unlock the defense is really a key for us, and that's probably not what we've been great at, the fact that we haven't scored that many goals this year, so we're having had some trouble. Does anyone in from my class have a legit shot playing pro? Yeah, absolutely. I think Cristobal Soto has got a great chance in terms of, uh, well, he's just a really smart player. He's got really good fight and mentality. He's really good in the air, um, really strong tackler. Uh, he's got good feet, and he's a good passer of the ball. I think the challenge for everyone as they go up to the next level is the speed of play and the physicality of it. Everything happens so fast, so fast. Your decisions just have to be lightning fast. So there's no, you know, you can't take any mental breaks or your guys running by you or nips in front of you for the goal, you know, in front of you. So especially as a center back for him. But he certainly has a chance, and hopefully it could be an MLS, but it could certainly be back home for him in Chile. So. I think he played pro. Yeah. Uh -huh. I did. Got a little sniff. And got a little sniff. How was it? Well, it was a great experience, you know, to be able to. It doesn't feel like a job to wake up every day and to go train and and to play in front of um, eighteen to twenty thousand people and to have, you know, your whole training taken care of, where you show up in whatever kind of training gear you wanted. You had whether it's three quarters or sweats or sleeveless. I mean, you could tailor it however you wanted, and it was really cool. So when you showed up. You legitimately just had to focus about playing, and that's really what's cool about the professional environment is that things are taken care of you, whatever shoes you need, whatever kind of training stuff you need, you know, everything. There's not a really a resource that is not, you know, made available to you. So, um, yeah, it's just an incredible experience playing with incredible players with Ben Olsen and Jaime Moreno and Christian Gomez, who was a league MVP, and yeah, Freddie Adu was there, which is interesting <laughs> in its own right. Yeah, so. Wait, so you were there during the Adu when he came yeah. over? Oh, yeah. What was that like? Um, you know, you definitely saw a lot of talent with him, which was not surprising. And I think the hardest thing for him and what has hurt him, and as he probably hasn't panned out as much as the hype was in the beginning, is that when the league is selling you and telling you that you're the face of the league, and you're 16, 15 years old, and it's really hard to stay humble and train and work hard. And I think we had talked about it a little bit before with the other 17s, you know, where if he went to Inter Milan, or I think is where he was offered when he was like 13, he would have just been in their youth system until he, you know, quote-unquote, was ready for the first team. Well, he wouldn't always start and wouldn't always play every game, but because he was being sold as a, you know, leading headline for the tickets, he definitely got in a lot more games than he maybe shouldn't have, you know, and... And I think it's hard for him to develop under that kind of scrutiny. And when you have a whole bunch of people, you're the highest paid player in the league at the time, you know, whether it's not just through the salary but also endorsements mm -hmm. and stuff. So um, it's 
still lots of talent, but to this day, and I still think it's one of his major issues, and not to criticize because, you know, I don't, can't, I'm still I'm not playing anymore. So clearly I have lack of a certain level of athleticism and ability, but is being able to stay involved in the game the whole time. He has moments where you're like, wow, it's really there and flashes, but then he just kind of disappears. And So being able to drive the game on, go get it from the left, get it to the right, go from the left, get it back over there, and then just go get it again and again and dictate the game, you know, and use your technical ability that you have. And kind of, to me, just to never really take that next step to want to will games on, you know, so... Interesting character, certainly <laughs> loud, and it was interesting to have a 15-year-old in your locker room when you're 23, 24, and everyone's older, and everyone's like, you know, it's hard to relate to a 15-year-old. So. Right, because my brother played with his brother yeah. at Mason. Yeah. yeah. And um, speaking of Mason, how do you know Mark Foss? Mike? Or Mike, yeah. Mike Foss. I knew Mike, I knew Mike Foss from coaching and just soccer in the area. Growing up or yeah. just or when you were at AU? Um, well, I'm way older than Mike. Mike just graduated not too long ago, but he's been a real good family friend, and since uh, just since he graduated and been coaching, he was coaching in McLean with me, and so yeah, we've just been and then through coaching and like-minded thinking, I've built a relationship on soccer and and life. And life. <laughs> yeah, for a second, was he the one that came up with uh, with Kike and Strong? He did. So yeah, for people who don't know, I've uh, unfortunately been diagnosed with thymic cancer which is a super rare cancer in, in the, from the thymus gland, which is kind of right in the center of your chest. And um, it is a cancer of 1% to 2%. There's currently no cure, so it's just going to be a lifelong battle. Um, but a good friend of mine, Mike Foss, who I coached with, who played at Mason, his actually younger brother is a freshman, starts at UVA, really good player, was actually an under-17 national team. Um, Mike has been really awesome through all this, uh, stepping up and helping with fundraising for medical bills and started this... Uh, Kike and Strong blog movement, which has really been kind and gracious to help, I don't know, keep people connected to the battle that's going on and to also uh, you know, let people know how they can help. So it's been really awesome for him and what he's been doing. He's been a great friend through it. So. How does it feel to have a hashtag connected to you? I don't know. It's kind of funny. I think <laughs> I did it when I first was at the hospital, kind of as a joke, and, but then a lot of people thought it was pretty good. So, you know, social media icon now. I go, well, let's not go as far as that, but it's, uh, it's been cool, and we've been actually been able to raise some pretty cool money, and uh, which will help with medical bills for sure, but more importantly, actually, as we've been finding this out, the support's been so great. We've been actually able to get a platform here to possibly raise some money for other people, and um, one of the things that I realize is that through soccer and through the community, and I don't know, interesting to hear the support because maybe I thought I was more of a jerk than everyone's giving me credit <laughs> for, is that uh, I sort of now have an odd voice and some people just didn't, don't have that voice and don't have the ability to, you know, have a friend make a website and get the support that they got. So um, it's kind of a chance to be an advocate and speak on their behalf, you know, and to say, you know, hey, not only maybe can help me, but we can help other people and if through that we can do that and raise some things, we can do that. So we're not really sure how that's going to manifest itself or what iterations it will be, but we definitely have some plans to connect with some groups to either do some programs either in pediatric oncology centers or uh, do some fundraising soccer events to help pay for some kids' bills or something. But I think it's one involves soccer for sure. 
because I work with kids and I work in soccer, and soccer's been amazing to me, and it's what the community that's been helping me. So I kind of want to get back to that. So, yeah, let's the Coolest thing we're tying soccer to Kagan Strong that you've experienced so far? There's been a lot of things. I'd probably say the support from McLean Soccer Club when I was there. Um, some kids that I coached, they they created a juggleathon, and you know, they we ended up having 300 kids show up to it. It was like mind blowing. You've been at a club for a while and you're coaching there, but sometimes you just don't know the effect or maybe how much people could have been appreciative of things that you done or helped out with their kids. And kind of when you see that response of people that didn't even even coach that just were like, you know, we've heard you've been so good in the community and with the kids and that wanted to support. That was really humbling and you know just makes you feel blessed. And I mean, also went to DC United game and supporters group. The District Ultras made a sign for me, and that was really cool, and held it up in the 28th minute, because I was number 28 when I played there. Um, AU's doing something for Alumni Weekend, the Kike and Strong, um, which is really cool, and selling t-shirts. So, I don't know, there's still some experiences <laughs> to be had through soccer with all this. So, uh, I think also seeing Landon Donovan and Clarence Goodson, my good friend, I played club, club soccer with growing up, wearing and stuff after the Clarence Ward after the Gold Cup, and, and uh, Landon at their and Thierry Henry and Tim Cahill with the, after the MLS All-Star game, you know. So just having friends in certain places, getting that support has been amazing. So I'd probably say more importantly, as much as those famous people are doing things, the most important things and the most humbling things are from the community or people that I have good relationships with that have just been so amazing to, you know, help out and reach out. So what are you planning on doing? Just for those listening, uh, It'll be tomorrow at 1 p.m. We are on Friday, so yeah, it's Lehigh. Any special things in the store? I'm not sure. I think I don't really know everything that's going on. I think there's going to be the Ullman Cancer Fund is going to be here, which is a great organization that just helps supplement and support all sorts of causes with uh, for young adults with cancer, and whether it be through helping medical assistance or fundraising for research or just helping people connect to doctors and stuff. They'll be there, they'll have a booth, they'll be selling Kike and Strong t-shirts, which is really cool to support. Those will go directly to, you know, helping medical bills and, you know, possibly things forward. And then we're going to, um, I don't know what else, it's alumni weekend, and I think there's having some support. I think some of it, they're not telling me all of it, which is okay by me. Um, I think you'll see some of the coaching staff have... You know, when you go through chemo treatment, you have you lose your hair. So I think some of the coaches staff might might not have their hair tomorrow. So, which is really cool and funny to see because I don't know. Certainly, a bald head is not everyone's best look. That's for sure. Yeah, apparently it wouldn't work on me. It's not your well, you're only yeah. We well, I'm a I'm a head know, case. We know you have a <laughs> you need to work on that. Alright, um, did you know you have a did you put money for a, a locker? Was a locker donated to you? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it yet. Interesting fact is um, your name is on a plaque above uh, or below Billy Knudsen's locker. Wow. I haven't seen that yet. That is really cool and humbling. I did not know that. That's amazing. I haven't seen that. I need to go see that. I'll be here. Well, I should. Yeah, we're taping it on Wednesday here, but <laughs> I need to Definitely go see it tomorrow. Uh, yeah. cool. they, they just unveiled the... Uh, did the they do the ribbon cutting? Mm-hmm. Cool. did it last Friday. Okay. And, yeah, I was... I was stationed in the uh, men's soccer locker room. It was cool. It was all dressed up like Man United style. Jerseys hanging yeah, in the locker. Exactly. We got it. Yeah. That's 
I mean, the locker room's been a huge improvement. I know it's going to be really important for recruiting as they move forward just to be able to compete in facilities-wise with other, other schools and other teams. It's important to see that, you know, when kids come in and see. helps you want to train better as a player, too, even when you're here. Like, when you feel like the, the, the athletic department takes what you guys do seriously and provides you with the facilities and resources, you take it more seriously and a little bit more professional in your approach. So that's great. And that's awesome. I got to go see that plaque. Didn't know yeah. that. So is there any um, words of wisdom, by, uh, phrases that you sort of live your life off by? Yeah, I just think one of the most important things to do is to um, try to become more process-oriented in life instead of just result-oriented. I think it's important to look at all the things that happen in our life. And while we do work hard for a lot of them, many times things that happen really good in our life are out of our control. And, you know, with my faith in, in Jesus Christ and with God, I know so many great things have happened in my life with my family and uh, my soccer ability and, you know, having favor with coaches and all these things. Yeah, I worked hard for but a lot of all this, a lot of stuff was given to me and these opportunities that kind of came seemingly out of nowhere. Um, but if we're only focused on the end result, we can become paralyzed, you know, and captured and enslaved to that result. And then we can't find happiness among the process, you know. So I guess it's important to, you know, write down things that are that are the right process to do for whatever you consider success. So if you want to win a championship in soccer, it's important to write down things like how do you do that? Well, it's about training off-season, in-season, taking care of your body. And doing those kinds of things, if you can take joy in doing the right thing every day, and take peace in that, you know, then succeed or fail in terms of the end result, you don't, you can take pride and take joy in the fact that, you know, you did it as best you could. Um, and not to mention, more often than not, you actually will succeed in those things. So, you know, I think it's it's important not to ride the emotional roller coaster. You know, I cannot be only happy if I, if I get only this job or if I only get to here, if I only have this relationship work out, you know, because it's just part of life. It just doesn't. And, things will go wrong in your life. And if you ride the emotional roller coaster up and down of success, you know, you'll have, you'll be, you know, held captive and subject to those results as opposed to just being at peace wherever you are and knowing that the next day is going to come and God has a plan for you. So, you know, similar with my cancer. I don't know what's going to happen or why it's going to happen, but I know God's given it to me and it's sort of going to take it each step as a time. When a one... Each day, as it comes, one step at a time, and just trust that where God's going to take me. So, is it ironic that you metaphorically tied that all to soccer? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, that's what my life has been about, and what's been so good to me. And soccer is one of the life's great teachers because of, you know, it provides real tangible, um, just analogies to to life. Where you have a coach, who have, maybe you have a boss in real life. You have teammates or coworkers. You have referees, arbit you know, arbitrary people that make decisions that affect the game. Um, and so there's just other, you have opponents, other people working against you. There's just all these other things that are that are real. So, um, you know, they apply to everything. Yeah, so, so that's how I speak about life in soccer because that's what my life has been. So. Hey, Sean Kuykendall, you can listen to the entire interview, entire interview, like 50 minutes on um, facebook.com slash fanatic radio once we get the time to finally upload it. It's a very interesting interview. Kaiken Straw basically is the uh, movement that a good friend, Mike Foss, actually played college soccer with my brother, started. Kaiken, go to kaikenstrong.com. You can buy shirts for $20. All proceeds go to the medical bills. 
as he fights uh, thymic cancer. So it's uh, interesting that the whole community is uh, surrounded him. As Flo is leaving, as he has class at 235. What class is it? Uh, politics over war politics. Right. All right, gentlemen. Good for that. Um, Flo, before you leave, uh, I'll put some cause tonight. Uh, yes, soccer fan. I'm not in any rush, but neither should you, because uh, in a week from today, in a college night, October 4th, against the Chicago Fire, my great day. All right, if you're looking for an exciting and interactive experience, DC United Soccer Club will be hosting college night on October 4th against the Chicago Fire, or in playoff contention for the Major League Soccer Playoffs. College night will feature a pregame tailgate, halftime mascot race between all the local colleges, and many other activities. Tickets will be sold at the price of $20 per ticket. And for more info, in a week, visit h or visit uh, slash au to Spinac Radio. Uh, Soundcast on ATV. I have blogtalkradio.com, and sponsored by Amherst Chipotle. Edition Network. All the stuff that we probably will get in trouble for plugging, but we'll do it anyway. Who doesn't love free spots? We are. I'm now joined by my, my sub-host. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Tom Achilles is in the house. Hello. How are you? Fanatic Radio. Glad uh, to be here. We're, we're fine. We're, we're, we're slow down. We're on TV now. I can't see this now. No, I love it. I love it. Big fan of AU. <laughs> <laughs> Watch you every day. Uh, Dude, we're even on every day. In the Burks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you get, do you get this in the Burks? I don't. Um, you can get the Spinac Radio on the works. I believe so. Yeah, some people don't have internet. Yeah, well, we, I actually, I got internet a while ago, but I'm still like, I don't have a TV in my apartment, so I just uh, get everything offline. Okay, yeah. On a podcast. And uh, I don't know, like, when I want to watch, like, football on Sundays, I'll just go to a bar now, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, so we'll, we will continue the, uh, the part two of the Billy Walker series next week. Dave Warren of the Los Angeles Times will also be joining us. That's the America's Cup. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Wait, what? Billy <laughs> Walker? Oh, no. Uh, the America's Cup. Oh, okay. It's a giant sailing race. Apparently, the summer of Dublin has the greatest comeback in sports history, which I think is a little too far. But, <laughs> but we, we explain how, I explain how it is because it costs like millions of dollars to like run a ship and then all like the stuff that goes into it, the elements and the water and everything. Right. And the guy from Los Angeles Times who goes covering it is going to be joining us next week. Actually, that's really cool. To, uh, yeah, we're big time. You guys are big time. I remember last year, it, I, you know, that was two years ago, you had Flat on, right? My very, uh, yeah, he's my very first guest, right? He's now in Estonia playing back. I know, I saw that. With a child. He has a kid, which is great. Troy is in, shoot, some small European country. Charles, I think, is in Turkey. Turkey. No, I'm sorry. Or, yeah, I don't know last time I heard. Last time I heard he was playing in Turkey. So. Lump went off to the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Lump, he goes to the, he, first of all, he gets drafted by a major league baseball team, mm-hmm. uh, fails in the minors, comes back, has to play basketball in a year, and then goes to the Netherlands. And I was really happy he came back. He was our best player that year. <laughs> it was nice to see him come back and, like, was. dominate the middle for a while. He um, was. And, um, and then, I don't know if he was before your time, but Brian Gilmore is playing abroad. He was an AU grad as well. Okay, that makes sense familiar, yeah. He's actually um, second leading scorer all time. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's right. It's, it's, there's another Brian, like Gil... Oh, no, he's from Gil Gius. He's from the 90s, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who I've done some research on at the AU athletic department. Oh, geez. Putting it into the media guides. <laughs> like all, all times. Do you miss that? You know, I do. Like, uh... 
it was just I, so for those of you who don't know out there, I worked at AO Athletics for all four years when I went to college here. I uh, graduated last year, and I, I really just did everything in the communications department, you know, from media guides to producing to, uh, you know, just running around and doing odds and ends, and I really do miss it. Uh, like, I'm hopefully going to be, you know, working some weekend shifts <laughs> here and there if you need help. Yeah, we, uh, you know, you can all help. Yeah. As of today, Katie, so we have 20 employees. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so like, interns or... Uh, um, employees at the department. Well, yeah, people uh, in training, work, study, gotcha. helping out. That's, that seems like a lot. I don't know. But, yeah. Um, it, it's always like a thing where people, you're short on people. Because, like, sometimes people don't show well, up. Right. Or, or more hand college. It's very well on ATV. We'll probably be ending this so shortly, but uh, for a quick exit, it's been Snack Radio on ATV. Listen to the podcast on iTunes. Search it. Really? Fanatic Radio, look to the other radio tower of the colorful airwaves. And go to facebook.com slash radio for more links. Uh, this is a presentation of Sports on an ATV production. Michael Gardner, Ben Florence, Tom Achilles. Okay, enough of the camera. Back to the actual show. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. We have these two roommates who one is uh, like, a, like a web design like whiz. Kid has been designing websites since sophomore year of high school, and so he's helped us up produce a little. And his roommate design is designing all the media guy covers and like special splash pages and everything we make. Cool. So this guy has been going yeah like crazy with the designs for media guides, and they just let him kind of do his own thing. Well, he wanted to make it look. You know, his only thing was he uh, if he could work on it in his spare time, which his spare time is like art on the computer. <laughs> right, right, which is. You know, yeah, it's the only yeah. thing is he doesn't work games. Okay. There's work that he does. He doesn't have to work a single game. I think that's a good trade-off, especially if he's specializing in, like, right. flash pages and media guide covers. So, so we have those two guys. We have a new dwarf. Yep. We have a person who is a, um, a wrestler. Yep. So the new thing we're designing for that is for the intros of wrestling, when, like, you announce, like, Blake Aaron, like, heavyweight is going on. Right. They're going to do the thing like they do with pros, like, they start and go, <laughs> and then and there's like fireworks in the background. They slowly look up. Yeah, see more chaos. So Katie said yesterday, on the other hand, I'm like a dark gymnasium. Spotlight comes up, sparks in the background. Oh man, I love it. I love it. With the head that thing, we're gonna do that on the jump, the jumbotron that we have. That's so awesome. Hopefully, Katie's like, hopefully they work. Oh my gosh. And then who do we still have? I know you're one of the most veteran people. So I'm the only not me veteran. Okay. I'm the only senior. Is Maya still around? Or she Maya is. Uh, she has worked. Semester, she has worked two events because she's graduating. Yeah. Uh, I guess she's taking one more semester. Right. She's gone. She interns at uh, uh, W W A M U. Right. The new the new office in Connecticut. So she's she's gone. Yeah. Uh, Man, I feel so Mark Gasol, Mark Gasol, he came back to produce one game, but he's running his uh, running his frat. I'm, right, he's busy. Yeah, and then Zach Powell, I know I saw. Zach Powell, yeah, he had an internship at uh, the White House. Yeah, so he, uh, he handed his uh, his two weeks in, <laughs> and he <laughs> he's been mining now. He might be coming back from his basketball. I have no idea. Yeah, but he's gone. You guys were a great tandem. Uh, I have no idea if that'll be broken up. Mm-hmm. We have a new, yeah, we have Malcolm Barber who's currently taking out the gauntlet of most of the broadcasting. Wow. Oh, man, I got to tune in. I got to tune in <laughs> at this point. 
because I love me some Malcolm Barber. <laughs> love listening to Malcolm Barber. Really, him, him, love and, him and Audrey are on, like, uh, lockout for many games at New uh, Howard Works. So they refuse to do men's soccer or women's soccer. Wow. Because of all, like, because everything is just, Audrey's, like, talking off the air. Yeah. During Sean Pagendall's interviews, everything's been a disaster. Well, not a disaster. It's just logical. I don't think Mike, Mike, Mike's slowly learning stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to best help him out. And, of course, the fact that it was, like, monsoon last week, and we had these high pods. Yeah. Because we got a lot of new equipment. So right. The picture right. gave us, like, thousands and thousands of... We got a new TriCaster. Oh, it's awesome. probably as big as this table. The one from last year we're not using anymore? No, we're using that. Okay. Okay. I know, yeah, I, I used that one. But we have got giant new TriCaster for our indoor games. It, it, comes, it comes on, like... They go rolly crate. <laughs> we have um, money. Yeah, Pedro that gave us all this. I think because they got some money with Boston and Loyola came in. Mm-hmm. But we have um, headsets for everyone now. Yeah. So we have like tele. We look like the New York Giants. We have like headsets where <laughs> you like the producers can talk to the, the broadcasters. You can talk to the camera people. Yeah. So we're yeah, yeah. We're going to debut that uh, volleyball on Wednesday, last past Wednesday. So. <laughs> Yeah, we have all this new technology, and and that's that's difficult when you put it out in the rain like that. It's more of a it's more of a disaster than you'd think originally. You're like, oh, it's gonna rain, it's fine. But it's like you have to like put covers on everything. Yes, and uh, yeah, y- you still have to get the shots that you need, and it's just like people are miserable. <laughs> so it's just slow going. Yeah, yeah that's slow going. Anyway, after you graduated, what are you doing now? So right now, uh, I use I'm using some of the skills that I used at the AOS Athletics Department. I'm a uh, essentially, a communications assistant at uh, a health nonprofit in DC uh, called AIHA, and so right now I'm doing like some of their uh, web development and like monitoring their website, uploading new material, writing stories, uh, maintaining you know social media stuff, um, and uh, like a lot of what I did in AU Athletics was you know web website management and like video production. I'm doing like a lot of video production. Oh, yeah, yeah. I create videos for footage that they have. Most of their work is international, so. Um, we get video footage from, like, Africa and, like, Eurasia, and I've been, like, editing that into, like, videos. If they do, um, like, it's mostly, like, HIV AIDS, um, related material, so that's, uh, it, it was, I was lucky enough to get a job right out of college. I wasn't, I was afraid I wasn't going to, but I, it's paying the rent right now. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, I, I really enjoy it, and I'm lucky enough to stay down in these days and not have to move home. Right. I love this city so much. Where is home for you? Home is uh, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And how is outside of Philly? Okay. East or west? It's actually north, about 45 minutes. All right. And I went to high school at Central Bucks East, where one professional athlete uh, graduated from, Brian Scott, a cornerback in the National Football League. Okay. Yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of Brian. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think he plays for the Bills right now. He plays for the Falcons. Not in the past. Okay. But uh, yeah, outside of outside of Philadelphia originally, so big Philly sports fan, <laughs> die hard. Not many people are happy. Starts in like four days. I'm so excited. I had no idea. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. The entire show Flow is doing is blog beefflow360.com. The plug was doing like an update. <laughs> this is his blog, and he does all of it, all the yeah upcoming. He does like predictions and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he was like shocked that hockey starts soon as well. It kind of does come out of nowhere. Like they have a short preseason. Well, apparently he was saying because the Olympics are next, or like in January, February. Mm-hmm. 
So the NHL takes like a break. Yeah, that's I guess why they started it's so early. Like, earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's a nonprofit. Yeah, nonprofit world. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting. Like it, it feels like you're always like competing to like have a job <laughs> because you know like that's the thing. It's all about like funding, and uh, you know American University is private, so right. you get funding here. There's no really like a lot of alumni. Um, but yeah, not proud. It's, it's definitely a switch working nine to five, Monday through Friday, uh, rather than going to school and you know having a couple classes that are a couple hours and then kind of managing your time. So it's been a, quite a switch. Biggest adjustment. Oof. Biggest adjustment to like work life. It's a great question. Probably, um, I would I would say just getting getting enough sleep. Like. You really have to structure it differently because I have like I do stuff at night too, um, so I like go to work and then I go to this other stuff and then I like get to sleep kind of late and I have to wake up early. So I'm just like weekends are probably just the most different for me. I just like sleep way more <laughs> than I used to. You were like somebody was like, yeah, you want to like go rage it's Friday night? I'm like I'm, uh, I'm watching Netflix and fall asleep. <laughs> so, like I'm just tired. Oh, favorite show on Netflix right now? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd probably say Bob's Burgers. Really? I love Bob's Burgers. That's a show on Fox? Big, yeah. Okay. Big Bob's Burgers. <laughs> really funny. Because um, the guy who does... Um, I feel like it's The Next Simpsons. Like, it's great. Really? It's a great animated series. Um, and it's... Yeah, it, it's just, like, really... It, the writers are super smart. Um, it's just, like... They, they really build a nice world there. And it's it's a fun show. A lot of my favorite comedians are actually the good voices. So. I was gonna say yeah. you you are you have a, a good knack for uh, comedy. You still, you still going on? When's your when's your uh, nationwide tour? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not touring anytime soon. Uh, I'm going to Philly. My one of my I do improv. One of my groups is doing uh, the Philly Improv Festival in November. So we'll be okay. going out to Philadelphia to perform, which is fun. Uh, and then this whole week. Is the District Improv Festival in Washington D.C. So you can get tickets at Washington Improv Theater. Yeah, uh, com. Yeah, and or DistrictImprov.org. I'll be performing tomorrow night uh, with the team, and uh, then I'll get on Sunday. So definitely check that out if you like to laugh. Yeah, like to have fun with friends. Come on out uh, to Source Theater. Are you there? Yeah. Where is it? Uh, Source Theater. That's on 14th and T Street. Okay. Are you? So you do you prefer? Improv, group improv, or, or like stand up stand up by yourself. Oh man, that's a great question. I think what I've been told is that I'm better at stand up, but I think I enjoy improv more. Okay, because it's collaborative, right? And uh, you know, a lot of times when you're doing stand up, you go to open mics, it's just like sad. Yeah, it's <laughs> you like you're by yourself, and you're like, oh, it's uncomfortable, and like that's just your life. All you do is stand up. You know, less less collaborative, and like improv is like a bunch of people hanging out and just like making jokes, and right. having fun. Who was your uh, role models growing up? For comedy, because I know a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people yeah. we like now, like you know Richard Fryer, George uh, Carlin, yeah, Steve, someone like Steve Martin, Martin. yeah. yeah. So who, are, who are your influences? Yes. When I was yeah, when I was growing up, I first got into stand up, and I was like really into uh, like I like I was a big fan of Nick Swardson. You know Nick Swardson? He's in like Blaze of Glory, and uh, he was in uh, what character? He was like the 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 soccer fan who loved John Hader and Will Ferrell. He was like okay, like that. maybe or um, Grandma's Boy. He was the leading Grandma's Boy, uh, and he's just an incredible stand-up. Nick Swartz. You'll see it once you Google it. You'll know who Nick Swartz is. Yeah, that's him. 
Okay, yeah, so funny. I love Nick Swartzen. Malibu's most wanted. Yeah, okay, yeah. He's a hilarious stand-up. He was one of the first, like, Comedy Central presents I saw, and he's just so funny. Um, yeah, Reno 911, he was a gay roller skating prostitute. <laughs> Named Terry. Okay, he's in all the uh, Adam Sandler. Yeah, he's like a Sandler guy. Um, okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, I loved him. Uh, he was one of the first ones who got me onto it. Jim Gaffigan. Yes, yeah, always talks about food. Yeah, yeah, love that guy, Brian Regan. Um, Brian Regan, uh, and then like just like so, not, none of like the big people, not like like Tosh Bonetto. I do like LK. I love Tosh. Tosh. That's the thing. More recently, I've gotten into comics like Louis C.K. or Bill Burr or um, you know like Pat Oswalt, like more like cerebral guys who are just like who talk about themselves. But like originally growing up, I was just like into like wacky guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so those, those are some of my comedy influences, yeah. And then I love, like, uh, The Office, like Steve Carell. I love Steve Carell, like Will Ferrell, um, Parks and Recreation, Amy Poehler. Yes. Yeah. Very funny show. Yeah, yeah. My favorite character on that show is, uh, the guy who's in Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. The big guy. Um, like the ditch who's there dating Aubrey Plaza's character. Yeah, I, I don't know what his name is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm in a new story. I'm sorry. He's actually done stand up, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he yeah, 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 went to Connie's house. Yeah. I see that. It was so funny. So you're saying, um, what was the thing you said about Louis C.K. people talk about? What do you people talk about themselves? So, like, I, I like comedians who are more, like, truthful and aren't making jokes. Like, he just talks about how, like, he Twitter. hates how he has, yeah, hates his Twitter account or, like, he just, like, the problems he has with his kids. Right. Where, like, you know, if you watch Dimitri Martin or, uh, you know, like, some comedian like that, they'll, like, do, like, a lot of one-liners or zingers. He's more just, like, I'm going to tell you this story about, like, how I, why I hate Twitter. And right. He's just, like, trying to, like, make jokes, but it's just, like, hilarious. He's like, oh, he's just a funny person. So I've been I'm more into, like, that kind of stuff recently. What's your style? I, I see I'm more kind of, like, uh, one-liners and, like, just weird things that I think about. Like, I, I love just tweeting, like, jokes and stuff. Like, I'm big on Twitter. Because the show I've seen you in, you talk about your, your roommate and you know, his weed problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the great, the great one. I, uh, I mean, gotta give a shout out to Tom Shad on this one. That, uh, <laughs> the one where the homeless guy is like, oh, what, what is it? So I was like, I saw a homeless man. Oh, uh, I saw a homeless man with a, uh, a. Uh, oh, never mind. He didn't have anything. Okay, <laughs> something. He was like, can uh, oh, can a homeless man feed his children? I was like, probably not. <laughs> I was like, I don't. I. Uh, I, I I don't know when to answer rhetorical questions or not. That was like the premise, the setup, and then I heard them for that. That was so. Like, yeah, have you ever tried to do stuff about your life? Sometimes, usually it's like a little set. Like I've never said that to a homeless person, but like I thought that up. I was like, oh, that'd be funny. I'm gonna tell that on stage, right. and then I tell it on stage. But uh, I mean, some of it's inspired by like true life. Um, but I I'm not like great at telling stories. I'm just, like, not a national storyteller. Well, so. I guess you are. Wait, yeah. next, next show you do, Okay. why haven't you done something about AU athletics? Can you? Dude, that's a good question. I can't say you're a student working, but now you graduated. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I write down. Can be in your next? <laughs> of, of course. Because, um, like, there's just so many characters. Exactly. Like, well, let I tell you, Nancy, um, or I'm sorry, Athena, 
wanted me to do a stand-up hit for like a for like a meeting for like all the AU athletics people, and she wanted me to make fun of everybody. Like, right, right. <laughs> and I was like, uh, like I don't know. That probably won't go over well. And she's like, no, you should do it. It'll be a lot of fun. And I never did it, but uh, yeah, there is plenty. Well, so if you were if you were doing there'd be a lot of a bit about AU, who would be the main point? <laughs> what would be the main point you would talk about? Oh man, put me on the spot here. Um, well, first of all, I gotta recommend Howard Smith. Of course, Howard would definitely be. He's gotta be up there. Well, like I, I would do, but like it's, a, it's like 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 people that I've listened to. Yeah, a lot of it is randomly blue collar comedy. Really, Jeff Foxworthy and uh, not him, can't okay. stand him, but um, Bill Engel, Bill Engel, uh, Ron White, Ron White, because they're all from they're all from Texas, so that's like my yeah. most of them are from Texas in the South. Yeah, but I like, guess where I grew up, that's my kind of humor. <laughs> and then the Daniel Tosh. Well, Daniel. A lot, and then Dan, Dan Cook was my like big yeah, idol. Yeah, I was big on him, and now I'm not a huge fan of him anymore. But I used to. He's in a. He was in a place. He's the voice of Dusty Cropper in this really Pixar movie. Really, it's like his first role since like Good Luck Chuck. <laughs> and I was like, Dan Cook, like, where's this guy been? Yeah, he's kind of been off the grid. Right. Do like, you remember Carlos Benzia? No. For a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He had like a Comedy Central show, and then like Sounds familiar. he got his like some sort of scandal where people thought he was like stealing jokes. So then he like just kind of was off the grid for a while. Now he's back. It was like Dave Chappelle. Not oh, because he sold it, but like he used to be big. Now he's like coming back. Right. So, but um, so if you're doing an athletics one, so, so a lot of they do a lot of things that those guys do. It's like tech tell stories. So obviously, like Fox really has a bit. Where he makes fun of the '96 Olympics coming to Diana. Right, right. And so I can always tell a story about the time. So what freshman were you, year. What were your stories that you played? Oh man, one of my one of my favorite stories was freshman year. We were playing Georgetown in soccer. I think this was before your time, but it was yeah. oh, men's soccer. Were you with senior day? It was Lehigh. It was Lehigh. Men's soccer. We were renewing that rivalry with Georgetown this year. Yeah, and Tuesday we played Georgetown. That's funny you mentioned Lehigh because. Phil Reeves is going to be high tomorrow. Oh, man. Hopefully it's not as uh, brutal of a day as it was when I am. So, um, freshman year, I was working uh, soccer against Lehigh, and I was doing the top camp. And back, back in the cage. Yeah, back in the cage uh, on the soccer field. It's like this wooden platform, and it's encased, and there's like all kinds of bee problems up there. There were like bees flying around yeah. up there. That's a whole different story. <laughs> but uh, I, I was put up there and it was going to be a rainy day and I didn't know what I had in store for me. So like Howard was like, okay, yeah, you're going to just do hip top cam. Uh, so I go up there and like maybe 20 minutes or 10 minutes of the game starts pouring and he's like, okay, put a bag on top. I'm like communicating on headset. He's like, put a bag on top of your camera. I'm like, okay. That's not how the watch even broke. Put it on. There's so many rates. Yeah. I put it on, I put it on and like. Like on the camera. All on the camera. Not you. So then, yeah, not on me. I'm just getting drenched. And then, again, there's like three people up there. <laughs> no room. Then ten minutes later, the camera shuts off because it got too wet. And I'm like, oh, shit, I broke the camera. I'm a freshman. They're going like, to fire me. Um, but then, so I can't see anything. But then Howard said, I'm like, Howard, the camera went off. He's like, no, we can still see you. So he's like, just point the camera where you think the ball is. <laughs> so it's pouring it's rain. It's pouring rain, and I'm you just know, like, I can't see it. They can, for some reason. So I'm just like, like blinding this. I'm just like going like a blind person. Just like, okay, I think. And they're like, you're doing a great job. I'm like, I don't know where I'm pointing this camera. 
Uh, you're free balling. You're free balling a camera is pouring rain. Half time I go down my like. Uh, like yeah, we get we get to like the end of forty five and I go down and like my socks are just drenched and like my shoes are drenched. They're like, good job, Kelly. Hang in there. It's a little hour. And then I go back and he gives me like a big blue AU Athletics like thing to put on. Uh, and that that was nice. And the second half is like better, but. I think it stopped raining later, and then I'm just, like, freezing cold because I'm wet, so it's just cold out. <laughs> so I would have said, so yeah, senior day, I played in, like, November. Yeah, yeah, it was just brutal. Um, so that was just one of those. So it's like, oh, I'm going to get to Lehigh. The last time we played Lehigh at home was Snowball, where it was, and I explained it earlier in the show, but it was, we started the game cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, light snow started, and then it was sleet. So the field got all muddy, and because we were wearing white jerseys, our jerseys were just covered in mud. But because it was exactly like Lehigh, went into the locker room, came out of the locker room wearing blue jerseys. <laughs> and we ended up winning against Jack Scott. Yeah. And we didn't go up like, like a minute left. Who were we playing? This was Lehigh. 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 Yeah. Lehigh. Yeah. Lehigh. Senior day. Senior day. Senior day. Senior day. Was that the game with the fight in it? Or was that a different game? Because I remember there was a Lehigh American University brawl. Really? No, I don't remember. They were playing a little bit of a brawl. I forget if that was last year or the year before. And it was raining. It was day. And we did win. I think that might Maybe that was it. You know, that, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So that, that every time I play Lehigh, it's been like a fiasco. So that that's, what is another one? A lot, of, a lot of my stories revolve around me, like, just failed productions. Oh, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Just like when something goes wrong. I remember sophomore year, Andy Cheesebro who doesn't work here anymore, works up at Harvard. Still at Harvard, yeah. Still at Harvard, yeah. Uh, doing good stuff for them, most of the football stuff. Yes, I do football, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she was, much, but he, he uh, we, we were, I liked him a lot. Uh, it was a basketball game, and, like, one of our cameras wasn't really, like, swiveling, and, like, it was just, it was a mess. Um, anyway, we set up a scoreboard camera, which is basically, it just sits on the scoreboard the whole game. And it's on the side. Bring that back this year. yeah. So just the score, and then you like crop it in, and you just see the score, and you put that on the broadcast. Uh, yeah. Oh man, it, so like it was a bad, it was a bad setup. Cheese was pissed off. We got everything set up, and then the first play of the basketball game, there was like an errant pass, and it hit the scoreboard camera, and like knocked it over, and it breaks part of the tripod. Really? Uh, so it's it, like. So, like, you just, if you were watching the broadcast, the score would have just immediately been on that. just been, like, a black box on the screen immediately. And then just, we just got rid of it the rest of the game. I think we were brought her back. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the last time we were using the score. I think that was the time where you just like, no, we're not using this anymore. So, like, this is this is just terrible. Um, oh, jeez. Good times. Man, that, that was a great story. There's so many memorable moments. Favorite, favorite memorable moment. Favorite memorable moment. Positive, not like a failed broadcast. You, you know, this is gonna sound, this is gonna sound weird, but like when we won the Patriot League in volleyball, that was really cool. That was my freshman year. Yeah, and like, uh, that was, I think that that was a big celebration. We got Barry Goldberg to like, she just did a lot of cool interviews during that time up with you. He would come up to the booth. Uh, I just remember, yeah, like Sarah Rochelle Russian. Got everybody coming on, and that that was just a great, it's a great volleyball year. I feel like we always have a great volleyball team, and they never get there. Yeah, yeah, because we I'm trying to think, we 
Yeah, well, freshman, freshman year, you have a sophomore year. Freshman year was yeah, Madison Kia and Angelina Waterman. Right. Where we just, like, a, we like a buzzsaw to the Patriot League. Mm-hmm. And apparently we went down to Austin to play UCLA. Right. But the year you're talking about was uh, my sophomore year. Yes. That was when we With all the freshmen. Yeah. Man. That was the team that everyone had more than Patriot. Now, shadow of a doubt, yeah. was going to win. Right. And we won. And hopefully not on what this year's team is looking pretty much the exact same, but all those people, like all those girls that are freshmen, right, are now like juniors and seniors. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that that actually was the last Patriot League championship our school has won. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I really do think that's like one of like track, but. Right. That, that, was, that was the last championship we've won. That was real memorable. I'm trying to think back, was there a game? I remember my first, first championship. The first team. championship I've seen was uh, field hockey. A yeah. team of uh, finger hoofs. Uh, Hannah Whiteson is our goalie. Yeah. Uh, Kirsten Gerhardt. That 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 and we were like this hockey. Is Hilton still, or is that before your tennis? No, no we, okay. we didn't have her. Didn't we had my freshman class. We had two with uh, I don't even remember her name. She's from Chile. We had uh, Connie. Uh, yeah. Connie yeah. De Palma. De Palma. And they all left. Her yeah. lot of yeah. De Palma. Wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. They're up. She left. But we had a great freshman class. Mm-hmm. Of like international players, plus with like McMackin and Ospak, yeah, and Montgomery, and we were as high as I think fourth in the nation or eighth in the nation, we're in the top ten. When we lost to UConn, like in the first round of the tournament, oh, right? But then of course the ter- their tournament's like sixteen teams. But I remember when we won the Patriot League championship. I was like, this is a great freshman year. More to come, and then we haven't won since like twenty. Some of those early, yeah, some of those early field hockey teams were great. Like I think we. We might have beat Maryland one of those years. I think I was at a game where I think so. We beat Maryland, and that was really cool. I think like Tatum Dyer. Um, I don't know, a volunteer assistant. Did she? She did know that. Yeah, she's on Steve Jennings' staff. I remember she. Yeah, she was great. Like she was. I think like the last year, all of our seniors got to play. Did she was just like kind of there with a couple other people, but when she was in her like private, people above her, she was great. Um, yeah, that, that was definitely a great moment. I want to say, I want to say some of the basketball stuff was great. Well, we we had some great intramural moments. Oh, jeez. Where the lights going out. <laughs> I know that's not anyone's athletic face, but I feel like we should tell that story because that was an amazing story. I feel like it happened again. It happened again in the championship game. Tyler's man out of drafting. Lights go out. 41 seconds left. Three weeks later, they play that final 41 seconds. So to this day, we always joke that that championship, championship is vacated. Yeah. There was no winner. I think technically the law, one of the law school teams won, but no, they didn't. Oh, man. That, that was, was so funny. I remember that. Like, And then we played on the main court, and it was darker. Yeah, it was a side court. <laughs> it, was it, was yeah. it just was not safe. <laughs> oh, man. Well, were you there during the construction of like the new lobby upstairs? During the summer, so I interned actually with AFL like, during the summer. My like going into senior year, well, like not like, into, like I work there. I want to say three times a week. Um, That's way too many days. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it was fun, and like do a lot of that with lobby construction. So if you go up there now, there's like great photos all along the walls. Yeah. Uh, the trophy cases are new. Um, we have new TVs that are playing AFL like footage at all times. Um, the hardwood floors. Uh, it's really nice. It's a really nice display. Um, so that was all being constructed during the summer, and that was like cool to see it all come together like that. I designed the academic board. Yeah, I, I did all that. That was like a big so project. Yeah, yeah. 
that put all that together. I had to do a lot of research. So like back in 1986, did you make honor roll? It was like some random guys in soccer. <laughs> like, we wanted to include everyone. It's like everyone gets on the page of the honor roll. It's so easy to do. If you go back far enough in AUS athletics history, we were in the CAA in yeah. a lot of the sports. And that gets really confusing when you're going back and doing the research. Yeah, that, 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 that's something that, that Ben and I are going to talk about next week. Yeah. Um, the Eagles wrote a column our staff ed about uh, these three freshman girls, like, just bash the athletic program, talk about how, like, football, we need a football team, or, like, because we have no football team, we have no team spirit. Huh. So Flo is, is writing something for uh, American Word Magazine, and we're trying to get the uh, the editor-in-chief of the Eagle on the show to uh, talk to her about yeah, it. Yeah, what are your thoughts on it? So they, they released that, and then they, like, a week later, released another staff ed about how all this with athletics, there's camaraderie, and we need more school spirit, right? So, like, two opposite ends of the spectrum. And, yeah, so we got to talk to uh, Paige Jones. But also, Billy Walker's Part 2 series, which will air next week, he talks about why we don't have a football team. Yeah, yeah. It's practical and whatnot. That's interesting, because, like, I know that... Um, I'm talking about, like, it is it is right, right, right. Like, do we need a football team? Is that something that, you know, could happen? I'm trying to think, like, the... I think Catholic has a football team, and then Georgetown has a football team. They're so bad. I know. That's the thing. Like, but Georgetown, they are actually in the Patriot League for football. That's right. It's like, like they replace us. Right, right. Because they're, like, not known for football, obviously, but they do have a program. Um, that's, yeah, I, I would be interested to hear what Billy Walker has to say about that. Yeah. To see if that's, like, a future possibility. Well, he said it's, like, oh, just a preview. He said it's not because, of, like, financial issues. Yeah. And all that. They're so landlocked. But um, that's it. I mean, we we already like in the in the past we had golf, we had tennis, like mm-hmm. the other you know baseball, yeah, baseball. So but, uh, but, uh, the thing you miss the most about working at AU Athletics, oh man, I don't want to sound cheesy, but just like hanging out with like the crew, like the same the same crew, you know, yeah. like uh, you, Katie, um, like Martin Tau, Matt Dorf, like everybody just look those long Saturdays. Yeah. It was so much fun when it was just like a marathon and games, and we would all just like get food together and then just like come back and like. We're going all. Yeah, we're going all. just like camp out the entire day and uh, um, just like being around the department. I know that doesn't sound cheesy because like no, a lot not, of yeah. everybody has like a lot of complaints always about everything, but uh, yeah, just seeing, just seeing, uh, you know, doing the game show, just getting ready for everything, doing the game show. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, it's just like you do it. You do it for like four straight years, and then you don't do it. And it's like, oh man, I miss like the culture shock. The culture is like kind of a culture shock where you're like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. It's crazy. Now, and then you like realize that you missed it a lot more than you thought you did. So I'll go through a few months. Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, if you stay in the area, I'm sure you'll be back to help out. But if party wants to stay, party just wants to get like away. Just so I don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, part of me does too. Like yeah. thinking about moving eventually, but right. you know, kind of stayed put with this new job for a while. But yeah, you, you said you'd go back. You'd go wherever the work takes you. Yep, right. big city it has to be in a big city. Yeah. I wouldn't be in a small town. Right, I can't, I can't do that. Got to be in the city right now. I'd rather be low end in a big city than like the sports anchor for like Omaha at night. <laughs> like, Omaha and DC. I just like, like living in Omaha for a couple of years to move up. Not worth it at all. Is that, is that what you want to do after? I have no idea. It's some, something of, in sports media. Okay. Whether it's media relations, whether it's working with a team, working with a league, yep. broadcasting. 
just anything. It, yeah. yeah. I'm so, because like, this job got me so experienced with everything. But yeah. this is going to be a great skill set for you. It's going to a great matter where I start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Look at Tom Chad. I mean, he's doing Yeah, he's, big, he's Washington Post now. Yeah. yeah. He has gone from, yeah, from us. Yep. The to, Times? Was it the Times? It was the Times. The Baltimore Sun over the summer. Yep. Now Post. Well, he was at MLB.com. He's covering the Nationals. He's a National Beat Writer. Yeah. Which we definitely need to get him on the show. He's going to talk about the Nationals. He would be, yeah, he would be great. He's been a guest before. Uh, he was the, he was on the show when the Strasbourg hype like hit. Yep. Yeah. When I think he was competing, when he was coming back when the Nationals made the playoffs, and had that great one run last year. It's not even the Washington Post. It's I think he's covering high school football. Post. <laughs> That's all of his tweet. Right. But if he's written in high school football, that's great that he's written for the post. Like, right. That's, that's where he wants to be, and that's where he should be. He's a great writer. And, yeah, I mean, he knows, he knows what he's doing. Um, exactly. So you definitely need to do an AU, AU Athletics. Not like an entire show about it, but like a good like 30 minutes of it. With, with Howard, Matt Howard, Nancy, Keith Gill. Who is your favorite coach? Oh, that's a great question. I think... Um, just in terms of what, uh, in terms of like, just favorite or like, thought they did the best job. So we'll start like, favorite first. Favorite, probably. Uh, I go with like Jennings. Jennings okay. is always fun. Uh, Steve Jennings is really personable. I, I've had <laughs> the jerks with him a couple times. Uh, he's, he's a nice guy, um, and obviously just like a fantastic coach in general. Um, I love. I think Centrowitz is hilarious. Uh, he's a fun guy. Uh, just. Uh, Connect with and have a conversation with. Unfiltered. Very unfiltered. Love Metroids. Um, Corkery was really nice. I know how Corkery's gone now. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I was a big fan of Corkery. Um, yeah, I would, I would say that those would be the right. ones that come to mind. What do you think of Billy Walker? My new AD. I like Billy Walker a lot. Um, the senior, like, they, they had like a senior night before I left. I got to have a conversation with him. And he's He's a guy who actually puts a lot of work in. Like, I'm excited for him. He's, he's just, like, a hard worker, and I think he, like, knows uh, knows how to run an apartment well. And I'm excited to see what he has to offer. Uh, I know he, he's a big fan of people who are just, like, big on, like, hitting the gym. I think, like, we're going to have our, our teams are going to be, you know, people that are going to be more in shape than in the past. He's big on that. Um yeah, and I'm like I'm really excited what he has to do. And he's kind of he's kind of like a uh, a quieter type. Yeah, which is nice. Um, not to say that your like Keith Hill was the opposite of him, but there's there's definitely some differences. Yeah, exactly. Then he's definitely different than Keith. Right. Yeah, he he had a lot of like immediate goals. Yeah. He definitely he definitely wants to keep or bring more winning tradition, but in a more like meticulous. Right, I guess because you know, getting going to the Air Force and whatnot, working right, like having yeah. clear set goals and like planned out. Yeah, has like a timeline. Yeah, also we hope we don't shake things up. I mean, obviously he's already hired two coaches, right? Two, two new head coaches. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask, you you being you being a comedian, sure. If you were, <laughs> you were in Billy Walker's shoes, what would be the first thing that you would do as athletic director Achilles? Oh man, what would you do for AU athletics? That's a good, wow, that's a great question. As a comedian, <laughs> um, I would. I, I mean, I love, I love what he did with, uh, like 
hired a new basketball coach. I think that was a great move. Um, even with the whole fiasco of hiring a search uh, like a, a firm to get our next basketball coach. Yeah. And ironically, the guy is like, he's like a right like, used to work for yeah. uh, he used yeah, to be an assistant, which is ironic. Yeah. I'm, I'm think, I mean, I would, I would try and ramp up the efforts. I mean, obviously, like, funding is going to be limited. That's always a discussion. Like, trying to get more funding for the athletics department, I think, would be huge. You know, whether it be just, like, bring in more scholarships or dedicate, you know, more resources to a specific sport, even, would be something that I would look into. Because, um, you know, I mean, if you look at, like, schools like Notre Dame that have, like, similar, like, uh, amount of students that go there, but, you know, that their sports programs have a lot more tradition. Um, so just, like, bolstering the tradition at athletics and, like, trying to build up maybe a couple of the programs over, I mean, not necessarily like we prioritize basketball over track, but to to be able to say that we have a tradition of like, uh, people are known, they're like, oh, I can go to AU, I can go to AU for basketball. Yeah. Um, I think would be big. Like to so brand it. Cash in more on a single program. I would say like sharing the wealth that we do here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I know that that's, that, I guess it's something that's, you know, contentious, but it, it definitely do that all the time, right? Though. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that will, you know, like raise the brand of like sports at the school. Um, and then you know we can, you know, get somebody on a on a bigger scholarship. You know, draw right. bigger names in, and like that will help the recruiting efforts. Um, whether that means downsizing the sports department and like dedicating more resources to a specific sport, or like even expanding it to like more sports. Like I think it would be great to have a football team. Well, I'm going to say that next question. What sport would you add? Yeah. Why? If, if, if we had the funding, I would absolutely have a football team. If we had the funding and the space <laughs> to build a football team, yeah. We could play, like, RFK. Yeah. <laughs> we could play football. If American University could play football at RFK Stadium, I would be so on board. Um, I, I would love to have a football team. I think that would be huge. Um, that, like, uh, I do agree with some of the arguments that, like, football does bring some sort of camaraderie to the campus, and it brings people together for, like, football games. Um, you need you need more funding now. And, you need, like, we're limited space. There's already, like, discussions about, like, you know, they're turning in the Van Ness parking lot of, like, dorms, and that's already, like, a problem with neighbors. So it just feels like there's just a lack of space. That's what I can't really laugh at me at, um... Sorry, it's right. houses behind. Right, exactly. There's so many limitations. It's just like netball in the community. Um, but football, because uh, it would it would bring the campus together, and then you know I think just having a football team really builds it. That's a big thing to have in a school, um, right? And that's a lot more resources that you're going to dedicate. All right, for the Converse, though, sure. What sport would you cut? Wow, this is if you're athletic director Achilles. What's the first sport you get? Oh man. I feel I feel like and all this takes to the athletic. Yeah, no, I I love every like I'm glad that we have as many sports. This is for the sake of comedy, which we love on the show. Oh man, I would cut women's lacrosse. Really? Yeah. Cut women's lacrosse after the year they had last year. I know. I mean, not track, not swimming. I mean, I feel like cut women's lacrosse. I mean, swimming and track. I feel like. So here, here's my argument for why women's lacrosse. Um, track, I feel like, is just something that any school will have. Like any track team is our cross country. Right, exactly. Like, they, exactly. Like they do double duty. Right. And I feel like that's just something that is never going to be like branded as like there's some programs that are great, like Oregon 
a track program. Right, exactly. I'm glad that we have a track program. It's never going to be like as big as like college basketball. Yeah, like, track will never be well, like the track is. We have to have like outstanding runners. And we we have right. hats, but like we had um, David Verberg, who was in high school or college with my brother, who ran the 400 at George Mason, and he ended up being on the uh, four by or one four by 400 uh, world championship team. Mm-hmm. So they competed in Moscow. See, for track, you just have, like, you're not team sports, like, individual. Right. You keep, you keep that just because it's, like, Yeah, I kind of like those life sports being in there, uh, being in a program. But yeah, like, swimming is also just kind of, like, a life sport. Like, you're going to, uh, or, like, tennis. Um, just having some of those that aren't, like, leisure sports. Leisure <laughs> swimming. I'm a fan of the lazy business, folks. <laughs> yeah. Why? What is lacrosse, though? Uh, lacrosse, well, first of all, like, we, there's only, like, a women's, program, like, there's not a, like, we have men's soccer and women's soccer, uh, like, men's basketball, women's basketball. Um, like, women's lacrosse, it's just, within the past years, it hasn't been, we've been average. Uh, we've been average. In a very small conference. Right. A very bad conference. Right. Uh, last year was an exception. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great for the program mm-hmm. itself. Um, it just seems when, that's, that's sort of like a trend, like, if a, if a, if a program isn't isn't performing well, then you're either going to fire the coach or you're going to, like, cut the program. Not getting enough, uh, you know, attention or yeah. support. Um, lacrosse seems to be that way. I mean, there's, there's definitely AU lacrosse supporters. Um, but if, I, if, you, if you're asking me to single out one sport, I would say that that has to be kind of sport. It wouldn't possibly be it. Uh, you replace it with football. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate person now. Um, not men's lacrosse team. You wouldn't add them. I, I, I would add a. I would add a men's lacrosse team. I think that would be if we wanted to like bulk up lacrosse as like a, a program here, especially yeah. in hotbed and you know mid Atlantic. Yeah. yeah the, That's a good point. Like so the picture league is like, like one of the best conference. Right. Like, like, like Big East and you got like great schools right like John Hopkins. Right. Um, compete with him. Yeah. Exactly. Like if we really were to build up, but that's a really good point. I never even thought about that. So women's lacrosse would. Cut it. <laughs> if we could add if we could add mess, mess lacrosse, then I would absolutely keep it. And then I would cut uh oh man. If you're asking me to cut another contract it, that's so it. keep the leisure sports. I d I don't know, I just like feel like uh, <laughs> a college is not rounded without like swimming or track. Like every college I know it has that generic. It's generic and it exists. Well you can say that on a college course. <laughs> you're like, yeah, of course we have track and Swimming, you <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like you go to any D three school, and they're gonna have a track program and a swimming program. So like, if the D one didn't have that, that would just be like bizarre to me. I don't know. I think it's just just for like tradition's sake. <laughs> but uh, it's like it's like with the, the melodic of Romans and Greeks. Exactly. And swam. Like if you were on a college tour for AU and we cut it down to like the sports that I wanted, it would be the weirdest tour ever. It's like yeah, we have three sports: we have men's basketball. Uh, women's and men's lacrosse and wrestling. <laughs> like, wait, who goes here? That's all you have. So that's my favorite Achilles. But keep those sports, cut women's lacrosse, and, and add oh, men's lacrosse. I'm going to get so much shit for that. That's too funny. I've never thought of it like that. Because I, I, I get that. Like, this is fair enough for women's lacrosse here because we're so mediocre last year as an exception. Interesting. Um, what would you, what, now what's your opinion? What would you do? Ah, oh, dang. This is, this is no, this is, this is all the attention. Yeah, no intentions. I think, like, I appreciate everything. Love every single one of yeah. them. What would I do? I would, I would add a mental cross program. Yeah, I would. Um, I'd cut swimming. 
test women because they, one, there's no scholarships. Every one of them do is like it's like a sign up volunteer, right? And I, I cut, you know, it, it, so I cut them because because that would give money for. Right, and I would build, I would build, I'd say more, I'd build like the chain link raised bleachers on Reeves, so we could play men lacrosse mm-hmm. on Reeves instead of instead of on, on Jacobs. And would you use Jacobs for other purposes? Um, that's a, that's well, like area. Men's lacrosse could go there. Field hockey's still there. Right. But men's, but Reeves would be home for men's women's soccer and men's lacrosse. Because mm-hmm. men's lacrosse should be one of the dominant sports at our school, considering where we are. Right. Right. I would, yeah, I would do that. And the other thing I would either cut or revamp is is the spirit and the pet band. Oh, man. If that's athletic funding, we are in deep, deep trouble. We show it best, like, four people show up and they can barely play the... Yeah, have a, have, a, have a big band, a commitment of a band, which I think is only like 20 new members, so I'll put that right. But, like, you should just, like, bolstering that up to, like, have nice uniforms with, like, a marching band. Well, it's a marching band. You like, like, keep the jersey. Or something. But it's more people. Yeah. The more people in a band, it sounds better. Make it, make it more petty. That's my like house band that my, uh, my Lemon show works. <laughs> so we need to either revamp that or cut that. that Your program that. could be a little more organized. Yes, merge it with cheerleading. There's no, there's no need to be a band in a cheer team. There needs to be either one or the other. That's my, that's my thing. That, 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 I like Dirty Burger. Yeah. Put it down. I'm going to find the jackpot to meet me in 10 years. So I mean, you, you, uh, I feel like you're on pace to do something great at, like, climb the hierarchy of Vega Athletics. I could be beer worth in five years. Oh man! I mean, if it's if it's something you want to pursue, I think you could get there. I don't know, like, like I don't like, feel like I feel like a BA in or in like a, like a master's in business though. Is that where? Is that what they all? Yeah, yeah. it has to be. Yeah, yeah. Communication. Yeah. I like communications because the last place actually doesn't talk about like budgets and dealing with on-campus life. Right. So I'd be like with, with like Kerwin and David Taylor and and our girl Gail. Carol, yeah. <laughs> like all those people. Also, I couldn't be here as I said, okay, because you have to be, because the one thing I would hate is the uh, the recreation part. I would be director of athletics, and then, because then you also have to do, like, intramural sports, and, yeah, like, the like, whole other aspect. It's like, I couldn't be handled those, because intramural, I do not like here. I mean, I, I play them, but, like, organizing them, that, yeah. that's already just a, a mess. <laughs> Yeah, so exactly. So it'd be, it'd be different. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, that would definitely be problematic. That's fantastic. And one thing also I'm gonna mention that you're doing, uh, DC Couch Game. What is that? Yeah, uh, DC Couch Cast plus my podcast. Um, so right now my friend Taylor Edwards and I uh, run a podcast mostly weekly, and we interview uh, comedians in Washington D.C. and uh, just interview them about like their past, what what they what their like philosophies on comedy are. Uh, what their influences are, and it's just like a, a way to like collaborate and give the Washington D.C. comedy scene information about upcoming events, and it's it's like kind of the first of its kind. Like no one really does a comedy podcast in the city, so we were like, let's jump on this, and it's been a ton of fun. Like podcasting is easy and fun. You just like have conversations with people, uh, and we actually applied. You should do this too. We applied to the New York Podcast Festival. Which is going to be in January. Oh, okay. So, so you're trying to apply that. So any person who has a podcast can apply. It's a, it's like a big. It's like the I think it's first annual New York New York City podcast festival. It's in January. We could win in that. Yeah. So you have to like you have to like submit like three episodes, a description, and it's like fifteen dollars to apply. So we we we're going to hopefully Comic Con of podcast. Yeah. Right. 
And it's not all, it, it's like all kinds of different podcasts, apparently. It depends off like sports and uh, comedy. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of all kinds of good stuff. That's too funny. Okonakos, once again, thank you for joining us. Today. Absolutely. On our Fanatic Radio. It's been a very long episode. Our first ever, I believe, as of now, like two and a half hours. Jesus. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Default, hopefully, will not be loved. Leaving for Classic Week. We'll be joining us uh, on Blog Talk Radio. Go to facebook.com slash fanatic radio, b1360.com. Listen to us on iTunes. And check us out on uh, ATV. And that'll be on YouTube soon. But for all of us here at Fanatic Radio, my guests, Tom Achilles, John Kuykendall, Lewis Mora, uh, Doc Walker's second part series is next week. Dave, uh, Dave Warren of the LA Times will join us next week. For all of us, I'm Michael Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next time.